Hey everybody, welcome to the Bear Hunting Podcast. I have a big announcement for everyone. The Bear Hunting Podcast is officially partnered with Bear Hunting Magazine. And to honor this, Bear Hunting Magazine wants to offer you a sweet deal. So if you go online and you renew or get a brand new subscription to Bear Hunting Magazine and you use the code BHP, BHP for Bear Hunting Podcast, you'll get $5 off a subscription. So check out Bear Hunting Magazine. They've got all kinds of great content in their magazine, uh, beautiful pictures, great articles in every flavor of bear hunting you can think of, from spot and stalk to baiting to hounds, gear tips, recipes, outfitters, uh, just tons of great content. So check them out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bear Hunting Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, so today we've got Joe Condellis of he's the president of Bear uh, Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters Association. And he's also an avid uh, bear hunter who hunts out in Wyoming and Montana. So thought he'd be a great guy to bring on. So without further ado, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is my first podcast, but. Uh definitely something uh, that i think is uh very worthwhile what you're doing so i'm happy to be doing it well thanks i really appreciate that joe so <clears throat> it's uh it's been a fun adventure so far <laughs> so <laughs> so um th- when we were kind of getting ready to do this podcast you know we we're trying to get the schedule worked out and we sort of had to work around a uh, bear hunt you were going on so <laughs> why don't we start off with how the bear hunt went yeah yeah anything in in, in the end of april the entire month of May and first part of June for me is, uh, surrounds around bear season. So I plan everything accordingly, but yeah, we were up in, uh, Montana for, I, I guess we left, uh, Thursday and, uh, had, a, had some plans to hunt a new area that, that me being from Montana, I'd still never been in. And we just kind of had it on the map for a few years to try it out and, and give it a shot and go in there kind of blind. And, um, I met some buddies of mine from Butte over there and we, uh, we met up Thursday uh, evening and, and, and hunted Friday, Saturday, Sunday, came home Sunday. And it was, uh, it was a good adventure. Um, saw one really nice bear that I was extremely excited about on the last night on, on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, we, sometimes those bears just get in spots, you know, especially spot stock hunting where they know that they're pretty well secure from <laughs> from anyone and anything and um he was in a berry spot i like to call it you know just bottom of a park with some timber around him and and he had some exit plans pretty well figured out and just to get on that bear we were gonna have to be right on top of him and you know we marched over there and and, and worked our worked our magic but uh at the end of the day he uh he was not that big for being dumb so we ended up we ended up not getting him but mm-hmm. i tell you we had some tough we had tough elements to hunt in this time. You know, we got up there. It was gorgeous on um, Friday, and we kind of rode into a drainage and, and started hunting this big, long bottom. And I like to hunt those bottoms early in the spring because there's most of the green grass and vegetation that they can eat is in the creek bottom. That's the first things that green up. And these bears in the high country funnel out of the high country, funnel out of their dens, and they just go downhill. They go down to a river, down to a creek, somewhere to find that first green grass. And so we hiked into a bottom and heck walked quite a few miles in that bottom and didn't cut any sign. And I thought, man, this, this might be tougher than I thought. And, you know, and we're hunting a big burn area and, you know, we spent hours and hours and hours behind the glass and the spotter and, and just couldn't really find much that day. And 
you know, it started snowing about seven o'clock that night and it didn't end up stopping snowing until it would have been, uh, Saturday, Saturday, it snowed all day, Saturday night at about eight o'clock at night, it stopped snowing. So, or I guess that would have been, yeah, Saturday night, one of those nights anyways, or Friday night is when we had the snow and it snowed all day, Saturday, all day, Friday um all evening friday saturday so we had a little bit of a time to hunt you know it was just kind of hard and yeah. i think when the in that burn area like that and with all that snow and stuff it, the bears that were out i think tend to just kind of lay low from what i've seen um not out moving a ton because they're just riding that storm out they're conserving the energy that they have mm-hmm. and then i thought you know that last that last evening we had a good weather i thought it'd be pretty good and we did see that one bear but you know uh, never a bad time when you're out bear hunting, but we wish we could have seen a few more bears in that, but I think we were a touch early for, for kind of that part of Montana. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> That's crazy. How much snow did you end up getting? Well, I think when we got in there, I kind of got my day screwed up. I took Thursday, Friday off. So it would have been Friday. We got snow, but when we got in there, there was, there was some snow up high, some, some leftover snow, you know, that just yeah. hadn't burnt off yet, but you could see where it was starting to green up everywhere. And then, I think when it was all said and done, we got seven or eight inches. Wow. Um, and it kind of limited, you know, just when you, what was hard for us being in a new area, mm-hmm. when you had fresh snow, we really couldn't see what to look for as far as bear habitat and, and where to glass for them. You know, mm-hmm. when everything's white, you're like, I don't know if that hillside's green. I don't know if that bottom's green. So you were kind of just like just behind the glass when you could glass and then by the time it melted off enough Saturday, you could kind of really see where we should have been looking and what we were kind of finding was, you know, the places that were, you know, south facing and, and looked like they should be a good bear hill were, but you know, it just, I think it touched too early. Um, it's all timing in Montana when it comes to those bears coming out of their den and usually the big boars come out first. So I think that's why we did only see that one big boar, you know, he just, an early one out of the den and, and then those thousand cubs come later so you know the earlier in the season you go you kind of don't see as many bears but the ones you do sometimes are pretty good yeah um that's, that's kind of not always the case but that's kind of the rule of thumb that i go off of mm-hmm. gotcha <clears throat> that's cool yeah actually um we had snow here too but yeah it was yesterday i saw my first south cubs for the season so it uh it's oh, yeah yep so that was pretty exciting but uh no we don't have a, I, i'm in michigan and we don't have a spring season or anything but we're just driving along the road and we're like whoa sound cubs <laughs> so that's kind of cool good to see you. that's my my the reason i'm so passionate about this is the hunting is one thing but I, I i just love more than anything watching those buggers and just observing them and and just hunting him is another element that gives me a chance to be around him and see him. And, and I'm never, um, I'm always surprised every year. There's something that surprises me with what they do or what they can, can, can be capable of. So it's always an adventure when you're bear hunting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I say this all the time, but the more I, the more I get to learn about bears, the less I realize I know. yeah i I thought i knew a lot and every year i'm like gosh dang i get humbled a lot but that's good that's good it just makes me better exactly exactly (laughs) well cool so um you are the president of yellowstone country bear hunters association uh for those that don't know what it is what is ycbha 
So uh, YCBHA is is a nonprofit. Um, we, we're uh, federally um, we're a federal federally recognized nonprofit, five hundred one c three organization that um, operates in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And simply put, we're dedicated to the protection and development of bears, bear habitat, and and bear hunting in the states of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. Um, it was. Uh, a long time ago when I first started bear hunting and, and I didn't start as early as a lot of youngsters do these days, you know, they're out there at 12 and 13 bear hunting and <laughs> my dad just never really did it. And, um, a friend of mine in high school and still one of my close friends today, we, we were kind of just like, we want to learn how to bear hunt and figure it out. And we didn't really have anyone to go to or nothing. We just figured it out on our own. And, and it's a lot, a lot, a lot of long seasons of not seeing much and not knowing what we were doing. And, as we became more passionate and more involved in, in bear hunting and, and loving it more, we both kind of realized that that's something that we like doing just as much as everything else. And it was just kind of really weird for the years that went on. We joked about doing something like this and never really were serious, but we're like, man, it'd be cool if there was a bear hunting organization out there. You know, the first thing that's going to go one day is they look at lion hunting and bear hunting. I mean, that's the two things that are like, and trapping. Yeah. Trapping is always a hot spot too. And we're like, you know, there's trapping organizations out there. There's, there's the, each state has a houndsman organization that's really strong. Yeah. And you know, there's when I, when you look out in the Midwest and on the East coast, there's bear hunting organizations and they're so strong yeah. and they're so ingrained in the community of hunting. Yeah. And we're just like, man, we need something like that. If not for nothing, just to, to have a, a voice for bear hunters and, I don't know. We just kind of always talked about it. And then one day I just said, you know, we're doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to get the ball rolling and do this. And that was in about 2008. Okay. And it took me a good two years to kind of get all the paperwork done, get everything done with each state and kind of figure out what our platform was going to be, what, how we were going to operate, what we were going to be about. And, and once we kind of got it going, we just were really grassroots, really small. And, and we still are, and we're always going to be, we're not going to be the size of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or some of these massive groups that, that do a great job. We just, quite simply, there's just not enough bear hunters out there to support us, you yeah. know, and, and that's what it boils down to. So that's kind of where, where we got started, and, and um, we're really, really focusing on black bear stuff, but our one of our major platforms, and, and we kind of had um, five five items that was like the the – the founding principles for us were, you know, um, a lot of education stuff, um, increasing opportunities, but one of them was, you know, to delist the grizzly bear in, in Montana, Idaho and Wyoming and the ecosystems there, there's several ecosystems and we can talk about that, but that was one of our founding principles was to get the grizzly bear delisted. We knew one day when this came, there was going to need to be a group out there beating the drum for sportsmen to get the grizzly bear delisted. Yep. you know, that go through group. And so we wanted to be that group. And so that was one of our founding principles um, awesome. of, of starting this organization, you know, along with some other things, you know, we, we're always looking at uh, trying to increase studies on black bears. Um, most states, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming guess they don't really have a concrete number because black bears are hard to count, but yeah. there's ways to do that, um, that we feel that are very um, good ways to, to, to get a better handle on population. And that's one thing that we're really pushing hard for, especially here in Wyoming. Um, Montana does a little bit better job of understanding their black bear population in, in Idaho. Um, 
but we want to make sure we're doing that and, and in you know increasing hunting opportunities where available and maybe in some areas decreasing opportunity because we've seen a decline in population or maybe we're seeing a decline in the quality of the animal being harvested mm-hmm. um another one bring more youth into hunting i mean the youth are our future of any hunting or recreational sport and bear hunting especially if we, if we don't get more kids out there bear hunting and create advocates for the sport we're just slowly losing um that population of bear hunters and 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 we need them out there so um kind of just some of those ideas that we started with and and it's been it's been a it's been a sludge i would say it's been a slow grind um you know i'm a guy that likes results i want to see everything yesterday and Uh and i want to see it happen happen two hours ago and so for me being patient and and kind of talking to the board and stuff, you know, it's just about being patient and letting it grow kind of organically and let it do its thing. Cause you know, we're only the only money we receive to do all these projects and things we do is through memberships and donations. You know, we don't, we don't have big, we get some grants here and there, but we don't have, we don't have big donors and, you know, you know, 500,000, $100,000 legacy donors or anything like that. You know, it's, it's a it's a pretty small budget we work on and so it's just trying to kind of slowly build that and and every year we do something better than we did last year and that makes all of us very happy that's awesome uh, i mean that that's just really cool that you you would actually start that i mean because you think about a lot of the old or not old but a lot of the big names like rocky mountain elk foundation all that they've been formed for a long time for so to hear a, a grassroots sort of um conservation organization strictly for bears is just that's really motivating i love it that's awesome <laughs> so. yeah and it, it was pretty intimidating at the beginning because you look at groups like the rmef and Mueller foundation wild sheep out, out in the west specifically um great groups they do so much for wildlife and they're really focused on kind of they've, they've even gotten bigger to where they they can start looking at other issues within wildlife but their primary focus is you know, elk or deer or sheep. Um, And and when I looked at it saying to have any relevance now, we should have started in the eighties, you know, and that's where it's at. It's, it's just where those groups started so long ago and have have been through the, the ringer with, with figuring things out and they get it now and they understand it. And, and for us being just kind of coming up, we're coming up in a very turbulent time with bears and bear hunting. And especially with the grizzly grizzly delisting where we're at, we're kind of just, throwing ourselves right in the fire and so that's been a touch intimidating at times but you know we're just feeling our way out and trying to make the right decisions as as as, as things come up so it, it's been fun learning experience and um i've enjoyed i've met so many more people than i ever would have not doing this i've learned more about bears and bear habitat and the management of bears in the in the i guess we're looking at you know 10 or 12 years of trying to get this thing going than I'd have learned in a lifetime of just bear hunting, you know? And so uh, I'll always look back at, at this time in my life as being one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. Oh, I can imagine. Cause you're basically surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals that are just as passionate about bears as you are. So that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. It's been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. You make me want to join. Now, do you, uh, do you, do, do you have to be a resident of uh, Wyoming, Montana or Idaho to join? No, and actually, we have quite a few residents from uh, East Coast. Um, and the, a little anecdote on the side: we we were really lucky this last year. We 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 had a, a hunt that we were 
a part of, um, we helped put together with the, with the help of, um, Jason Matzinger of into high country mm-hmm. and some of our life members, we put this hunt together for, uh, an individual named Jake Simmons, who was, um, born with spina bifida and, and Jake had really been just a fan of Jason's for a long time and following him on social media and watching all his shows. And, um, you know, every year Jason would post bear hunting stuff on Facebook or Instagram and, 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 you know, after his episodes, Jake would reach out to him and be like, man, I'm, I'm, that is so neat. I, I love what you're doing. God, I, I dreamed to kill a, kill a black bear once in my life. And, you know, Jason is our spokesman and, and works really closely with us. And, mm-hmm. you know, he reached out to me one day and he's like, Hey, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this guy in, in Idaho that is just dying to kill a bear and, and go bear hunting and have the whole experience. But, you know, he's, he's, he's chair bound. He's, 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 he doesn't have use of his legs. And, is there anything that you can do? And we had actually done a few handicapped bear hunts here in Wyoming with the Wyoming disabled hunter. So I was like, man, this is right up our alley. You know, it's, it's all the things that we're trying to do. And so I reached out to, we have several life members, Tad Sherman and Jeff Morris and, and Gene Briggs over there in that Boise area. And I, I reached out to them and said, man, you guys got rock and bait sites every year. You guys do really well to bears and they're always taking kids hunting. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe we could have them help us out and pencil something in for Jake. And I mean, I called Tad and it was just, he didn't even, I didn't even have to call him. I knew he would say yes, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they set up a bait site. We did the whole thing, got over there, got Jake over there. And, and on a second day, he, he ended up taking a bear and it was just a, not a dry eye on the mountain. And when we, uh, we're all said and done, you know, Jason had documented the whole thing from start to finish. And so he put a, he put an episode of that on TV on the, on the sportsman channel, uh, uh, an episode of into high country. Mm-hmm. And it was after that, I, I, I was check you know, I checked my email, I get all the memberships come through me and I was checking my email and we had within the month of that episode, Aaron, we had several members from California, Florida, Midwest, Missouri, that all just joined and a lot of the comments they sent us were just thanks for doing what you're doing and and we joined just because you're doing great things and so we do get members from all over the country and 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 that's good you know it's it's a hard investment sometimes because the dollars that we spend quite frankly are going to montana idaho and wyoming but you know our cause is is greater than than that i guess yeah definitely that's awesome (laughs) that is super super cool um wow (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So, um, wow, I, I'm just—that's uh, awesome. I I can't get over that. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, it was a great experience, and I think the episode's online, and and you can check it out on YouTube. But uh, we just showed it in another film that we did um, at our first ever Bear Camp event. We called it, and it was a film festival. Jason put together two films for us. Um, he showed up at the event and, and answered questions and kind of talked to people, but the one film was Jake's hunt. And then the second one was just kind of like a, we kind of called it an anthem for bear hunters. And it was a, why we hunt video. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it didn't, it didn't necessarily have to do anything with Montana or Idaho or Wyoming. It was why do bear hunters hunt? Mm-hmm. And, um, it covered baiting, hound hunting, spot and stock, and just kind of the, why we're so passionate about that sport. And I think that's going to be full release here really soon. Um, he's going to release it on his YouTube channel. And so, okay. um, we showed both those films and they were great. And that, that hunt with Jake, I always say this and I learned more from Jake than he ever will. I got more from him than he will ever have gotten from us. I, yeah. it was just his perspective on life and, and, you know, his, his attitude is fantastic. Such a nice gentleman and 
still friends with them today. And, um, that was a, a hunting experience that changed all our lives. And, and, you know, if that's what we do at the end of the day and we can hang our hat on that and that's all we do, heck, I'm proud to, I'm proud to be a part of this organization for that. Oh yeah, definitely. Now when, uh, when those videos get on YouTube, uh, let me know and I'll share them to the page here. So way um, the listeners can see them. That, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I'd love awesome. for everyone to see them. They're, they're great. They're great films. That's awesome. Cool. 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 Well, um, so some of the goals, I guess that, uh, you talked about like grizzly delisting, um, getting youth involved in, in bear hunting, expanding bear hunting opportunities. Um, how do we achieve those goals? Um, you know, the grizzly delist thing is, and, and we could talk for about four days on that. And, <laughs> yeah. and that one, that one has been basically everyone that has been a part of the game for long enough knows, um, that in Montana, out in Wyoming that we're there, you know, the, the goals have been achieved. Yes. Um, the, we're talking about the greater Yellowstone ecosystem right now. And so the, there's, there's several ecosystems that they've broken this grizzly bear recovery into. Mm-hmm. And there's an, or there's a group, a subcommittee. Um, the interagency grizzly bear committee is tasked with managing the recovery mm-hmm. and they broken up and divided people into groups to manage each ecosystem individually, because you know, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is going to be a lot different than the cabinet or the Selkirk or the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem. So they manage each one a little differently for recovery. And the greater Yellowstone ecosystem right now is the one that's the hot topic that everyone's hearing about that is then submitted for recovery. Um, They they submitted the paperwork and they requested a removal from the endangered species list to the U S fish and wildlife service. Now that's the one that we're talking about now. Um, you know, the greater, the, the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem will be really close behind this. Mm-hmm. And so what happens with the greater Yellowstone ecosystem now is going to be kind of the precursor for what's to come. But to get to the delisting since 1976 has been nothing but blood, sweat, and tears from state agencies to get these bears back on the map. And not only state agencies, but sportsmen, recreationists, you know, have to play their part in the recovery and everyone's kind of done that the community surrounding the ecosystem it's just been a whole bunch and and we could go into so much depth of how the communities are are behind it and sportsmen what they can do to ensure this recovery but you know all that work's been done and now we're sitting on what unfortunately is the process of paperwork and filing and and the last as of about two weeks ago, that paperwork had been submitted, but since we do not, with the new administration, do not have a director of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services yet. Okay. And so we are sitting that 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 recommended list from the interagency grizzly bear committee is sitting in Denver, I believe, at the regional U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service office, um, waiting to be pushed up the chain. Um, you know, the last we had them delisted a few years ago, and we, we had them for a short amount of time. And then there was a court, um, the court granted, uh, they said that someone appealed it. One of the non-hunting groups appealed it. And basically what happened was the court said, you don't have enough information to say that the grizzly bear can sustain living without the white bark pine crop. And (laughs) 
So we had to go back to square one and, and everyone went to work and, and now they, they have new estimates and, and basically have found that the grizzly bears don't sustain on the white bark pine crop exclusively and they're so adaptable. Yep. And, and a lot of technical stuff went into it and they said, you know, we're ready to delist again. The population's growing at a, uh, double digits for years. It's, it's actually get below double digits, but it's been growing double digits for years and, and now the time has come. And so, kind of what we do to ensure our part in it is, you know, we do PSAs on the radio all over the place to make sure that sportsmen going out bear hunting know the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear. Yep. Um, we do educational stuff with kids. We do um, bear spray giveaways every year here in Wyoming. We're trying to get this program started in Montana and Idaho where we, we basically give a free can of bear spray out to, to hunters uh, that are going out in the fall because wow. the fall is a very big time for conflict. Um, a lot of bears are getting ready to go into their den. They're they're just they're opportunistic omnivores, man. They'll take anything they can. And when there's a lot of carcasses and stuff out there, and there's a lot more people out there, we have a lot more bear conflicts. And yep. so we've been doing bear spray giveaways every year. We're going to do two more this year, uh, this fall in Wyoming, and trying to get some going in Montana. Um, and basically, the, the idea behind doing the giveaways for bear spray is if we can put bear spray in their hand, there's a chance they'll use that. And, and uh, other than uh, instead of like a rifle or a pistol. And yeah. I, I get a lot of people that ask me, and I'm an advocate for bear spray. I've, I've seen the research. I've, I carry both. I'll mm-hmm. tell you right now, <laughs> disclaimer, I carry both because I never know what I'm going to do. But why we want people carrying bear spray is because if something happens and we lose a grizzly bear out of the population and God forbid we lose a human life, yeah. Um, it, it's just a, it's a lose, lose. But when we lose population on grizzly bears, it's, it's one less that we have mm-hmm. in our fight to do list these <laughs> things. And it, it gives the anti hunters more fodder against us, you know, Hey, yeah. sportsmen are out there shooting these bears. And lately there's been hardly any instances of actual sportsmen accidentally shooting. There's a few every year, but not many. Most yeah. of the conflicts are becoming, humans um and bears living together and bears having to be removed from a population because they're they're um you know their food condition that they're they're getting into garbages and they got three strikes and they're out or they're killing cattle you know and we got to remove them the states have to remove them and you know that's just a product of a um recovered population you know the more bears we have the more problems we're going to have so yeah exactly now I mean, it almost sounds like there's an overabundance of grizzlies. Um, what do we have a current best guess for the grizzly population in the GYE? Yeah, right now they're staying upwards of a thousand, close to. Um, okay. You know, they changed the way they counted bears, and and I'm not going to dive into it too much because I'm sure <laughs> I'll screw it up. But they have they have different methods of counting them, and for years they counted them one certain way, and, and it involved counting only certain sows that they would see in one area and not counting every bear. And, and this, they've recently changed, you know, to they're trying to count every bear. Um, another thing that's been changed too. And one thing that people don't know about is they only count the bears. They've only counted the bears in the demographic recovery area. So outside of that, they don't treat those bears as part of the population. And so we're starting to get a lot of bears that are outside of that area and they're not counted as population. So you have all those bears as well Mm -hmm. as the ones being counted in the recovery area. And so 
you know, when you count the recovery area bears and then you add on everything else, you know, the, I think the estimates that I last seen were in that pushing a thousand range and, and, you know, the endangered species list to be, to be considered recovered, mm-hmm. they had four or five criterion recovery criterion they had to meet and they've met each one for several years in a row now. And so it hasn't been an anomaly of like, well, we met it one year, but we didn't meet it the next. No, it's been every year for several years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the goal of the endangered species list is to recover animals and then take them off. But we're kind of in this world where everyone thinks, well, once they're recovered, let's leave them on the endangered species list. And that's not the idea. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I I live in the northern Great Lakes where um, the gray wolf is still technically an endangered species which is um absurd <laughs> so i, I, I can definitely I understand quite a bit. Oh. yeah i follow that quite a bit out there just because i know you guys have a lot of issues with wolves and and they're oh. considered endangered and protected still and you know it's unfortunately we have government that's too big and we're just everything has to go through so many protocols and at the end of the day the states better know how to manage these bears than the federal government does or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. You know, these states are the state agencies, you know, the Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, Idaho Game and Fish, Wyoming Game and Fish. They're the ones that are responsible for the recovery. They're the reason we have a recovered species. These guys are out there every day getting night calls, doing stuff with bears. And, you know, they know how to manage them better than anyone else. And, And it's a it's an absurdity to think that someone else in, in Washington, D.C. can do a better job than, than these guys can that are boots-on-the-ground guys. So, yep. you know, that's that's what we need to be really pushing for. And, you know, one thing that always comes up is hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, let's get the grizzly bear to list it so we can hunt them. And, you know, as an organization, we're all for that. But we want them hunted for sustainable population. So yep. we don't want them hunted to the point that we're going to be back on the endangered species list in another year or two. Exactly. We want them hunted so that in 10 years, my daughter can get try and get a permit. Or, you know, we don't want this one, one and you're done thing. So we're always pushing for that sustainable harvest, a harvest that we can have every year and, and keep that population where it's at. We're, we're absolutely excited about the idea of having grizzly bear being another species that we can hunt in the three states. And we're by no means for the eradication of them. We just want a sustainable population that we can hunt every year. Yeah. And some people are jumping on that hunting bandwagon a little too soon. I think they're going to be disappointed when some people believe that they're all going to get grizzly tags. And, <laughs> and I can tell you that's not going to be the case. There's yeah. the whole, the whole ecosystem is going to have basically one mortality quota. And um, that's got to split up between three States and that mortality quota is going to be pretty small. And then what each state's going to do is basically they'll look at the percentage of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem in each state and allocate tags to the states. Yeah. And the inner, the Yellowstone ecosystem subcommittee is going to be tasked with kind of overseeing that. And so everyone's not going to get a grizzly tag and you're not going to go out and we're not going to go out and harvest 200 grizzly bears in the GYE the first year, because we're simply not going to allow that. It, it just yeah. isn't the reason why we've, we've gone for so many years to do this. Exactly. Yeah. Now is there, I mean, obviously we wouldn't know for sure, but there is there a guess for uh, how many tags would be available? Like what the quota would be? What's a realistic quota, I guess, for uh, if yeah, a grizzly so, hunt were to happen? I think what they'll do is they'll look at 
So they have a total mortality quota for the population, and it usually involves sows and then subadults. Mm-hmm. And so they'll look at, you know, based on the recovery criterion, they'll look at those numbers and say, okay, if we keep it under this, we're good. And so then you have to factor in removals for damage, you know, say a bear had to get, uh, you know, euthanized or killed because it was uh, tearing someone's garbage. Mm-hmm. garbage apart or it got hit by a car so those all go against the mortality quota and then there'll be this little piece of left that'll say 10 percent allocated to, to to hunting and so i <clears throat> i've even spoke to several of the guys in wyoming and <clears throat> excuse me they can't even really put a number on it and i maybe they can they just don't want to yet but yeah. i think realistically we're going to be looking at like 10 for the three states okay. uh, something like that yeah, I think you're going to have Wyoming with four or five and Montana with a few and, and Idaho with a couple. And yep. and that's it for the first few years. And it might be a little bit more, but mm-hmm. they'll have the ability to adjust that each year, I believe, or maybe every three years, just based on, you know, well, we, we killed so many bears in the harvest, the hunters did, but we had a really bad year for damage and, and removals for damage. So now we got to kind of look at that next year and say, well, we might've dipped under where we want to be. So we're going to kind of, we're going to, you know, err on the side of caution and manage it a little more conservatively on the hunting side of things. So each year it could change. Um, mm-hmm. But for right now, I don't even have a guess. I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, without kind of just guessing on, you know, how many bears mm-hmm. are out there. And then I've talked to some of the guys about, but it, it's going to be a small amount. And, you know, grizzly tags are going to cost a lot of money, even for residents in every state, if you do draw one. But it, it's just the opportunity. Someone's going to get to do it. And, yeah. and that is pretty remarkable, considering where we were, you know, in the 70s. Exactly. Oh, definitely. And that will be the hunt of a lifetime for sure. Boy, but, I uh, just hope I can go with someone. I hope I know someone that will take <laughs> exactly. Just tag along. Exactly. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. What a experience. And we got some whopper grizzly bears out here, you know. Oh, I'm Apex sure. predator for years. And there are some bears that are tremendous out here, huge <laughs> bears out here. So there's going to be some people out there that get some pretty amazing um trophies and experiences uh, of a lifetime so it's going to be neat yep exactly and uh if you thought predator calling black bears was fun <laughs> yeah that would be a rush you know they're they're an aggressive aggressive that well their their scientific name is ursus horribilis and yeah. you know they're, they're not just aggressive now they've been aggressive since teddy roosevelt came out here and they caught him on the plains of montana yep. you know they were roping them and, and they're an aggressive species so you know, calling them could be a, a, a pretty big rush, you know. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> but I think the, the hunting piece is important because bears aren't afraid of humans out here. Um, yeah. And so what happens is, you know, we call it the dinner bell, you know, during rifle season or, or during archery season. You know, you get a carcass down, you get an animal down, and you, you got to be pretty diligent because those bears are pretty keyed in on those carcasses and hunters and you know, I think it'll go a long ways when we start being able to kind of chase them around the hills a little bit. And, and, you know, we take a few out of the population, some of those low hanging ones, and mm-hmm. it'll, it'll make a big difference as far as being able to recreate a little more freely, still going to have to be bear and, 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 you know, be, be vigilant because there's going to be grizzly bears, but it's going to do a lot for sportsmen too. You know, when you create an advocate for a speed, you know, when you give someone a tag, they become an advocate for that species. Yep. You know, it's, it's, you got guys that hated wolves until they could wolf hunt them. 
and now they love wolves because yeah. they can hunt them yeah and they want to see them survive and and the same thing with grizzly bears you got a lot of people out here that just they they, they are they are the you know they're public enemy number one out here i i can say that for a fact and you start allowing people to hunt them and the next thing you know you got advocates for that species and you're like hey i i love grizzly hunting i love seeing them i want to hunt them let's make sure we got grizzly bears on the mountain and that's the that's the biggest thing you know public perception is one of the hardest things uh when it comes to recovering a species like the grizzly bear and we got to change that perception a little bit and, and with hunting seasons we can do that yep exactly exactly i mean it's pretty much the same thing here it's um you know wolves are they they're very uh aggressive here i move you know thank god we haven't had any um you know wolves kill any humans here you know but there's been a few close calls and uh it i yeah we definitely could use a, a hunting season just because they become so i mean they're going in and killing dogs and and it's just yeah. you know it's there's not good it, no there isn't i mean i have them come into my bear baits all the time and they have no fear <laughs> you know and not yeah. compared to say a canada wolf which gets hunted frequently you know so yeah. same thing. yeah it's it's a definitely they get they get conditioned to people mm-hmm. they know yep. you know black bears of black bears I, I saw a stat not too long ago. I think they're one of the highest growing populations of any wild animal in the North America. I mean, it's they are growing at a rapid rate, but you look at how black bears are, and they're they're typically a lot less aggressive, and they're more um, reclusive. They like to hide and not be by people, and because of that, they've thrived. And during this whole time when, when settlers came out west and they eradicated the grizzly bears almost at one point, and then we got them kind of back and managing them and then you know the issues we've had all the way up into the 70s with them is we never had those issues with black bears you know for years black bears people could hunt them with their general elk tag out here as a predator and black bears have always continued to thrive and that's why i love that species so much you can throw them in mexico and they'll make it oh yeah, they'll make it yeah they figure out a way you know and that's why they're so remarkable to me but you know grizzly bears are going to be a species that we're going to have to look at with the a fine tooth comb and and a microscope every year just to make sure we're not overdoing the the harvest and and that's fine with me as long as we can have that harvest every year exactly exactly just have just have management back essentially so yeah 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 that'd yep. be fantastic yep so awesome well, good. And you thought drawing a bighorn tag was hard. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it'll be harder than that. <laughs> Once in a lifetime. I honestly am I'm planning on my 40th birthday. For my 40th, I'm, I think I'm going to book a trip to Alaska because I just don't ever see the day that I'm going to get lucky enough to draw it. So I figured I better be proactive and go get my own grizzly up there before I can wait till I – you never know. I could draw it the first year. I may never draw it. So – Yep. I got to get one before it's all said and done. Yep, same that you know if I don't hunt any other big game animal, you know if I there's, uh, if there's a species that I, you know if I only get to kill one other species of big game animal, I want it to be a you know grizzly bear and yeah. an actual grizzly. You know, if I had the choice between a big you know a big like coastal brown versus an interior grizzly i think i'd want an interior grizzly i think that's just cooler because they're so aggressive 
Yeah, I tell you what, you and I are we're we're reading from the same book there. I yeah. I've said that for a lot of years. Them big coastals are amazing. Um, they're huge. I mean, they're like dang Volkswagen bus out there. But for me, they're not as pretty. Um, they're kind of more of just that flat brown color and less characteristics per bear. And I've, I was up in Denali with my wife years ago and we saw some of those Tolkat grizzlies and, Mm -hmm. and some of those interior grizzlies and, I was caribou hunting last year and, and saw one up in the Brooks range. And I got to tell you, that's, that's what I'm after. They are more of like what we're hunting or going to have the opportunity to hunt down here. Yeah. And they're gorgeous. They're just gorgeous bears. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of doing a lot more spot and stock hunting, which I love, you know, you can look yep. over a lot of bears and yep. it's a lot cheaper. That's another reason. It's yeah, a lot cheaper exactly. to hunt in the now anyways, than one of those coastal bears, but Yep. You know, I wouldn't turn down an opportunity if someone gave me one to hunt a coastal, but oh, if I sure. had to pick, I'm, I'm going interior all day. Yep, same thing. I, I think they're way prettier. Um, you know, I would love, like, one of those blonde-tipped ones. Oh, man, they're just gorgeous yeah. bears. And, and the thing, too, another thing is, um, you know, I've heard that some of the interior grizzlies are actually, like, like decent eating. So <laughs> yeah, they eat a ton of berries and yeah, yeah you know, and yeah, where I've heard the coastals are edible, basically, it's what I've heard. So yeah, and it's just um, I don't know, it's more my style. I'd like to go yeah. sit on a on a hill in the Brooks Range and just glass and 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 look for you know maybe the one or you only see a few, but you're out there and mm-hmm. that country is absolutely amazing, and I'd just like to go back and. Seeing some of them, that's kind of sealed the deal for me. I was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Yep, yep, <laughs> that's awesome. Yep, that's uh, that's my one trip I've, I've got to do. <laughs> so yeah, my bucket list number one for me. Yep, same here. Number one is you know is that so cool. <clears throat> so um, before we jump on to hunting, um, is there any uh, so. YCBHA, is there any like uh, habitat projects or anything you guys are currently working on or research projects yeah, or anything so, like that? Well, we've done quite a few things, um, smaller scale. What we're one of the one of the things like I've mentioned before, we do the bear spray giveaways, and then mm-hmm. recently we've received a grant every year. Um, there's a grant that the state of Wyoming gives that has to go towards bears and bear habitat. Okay, so it's really cool. Yeah. And now that we're on board, we kind of steal that grant money away from organizations that are anti-hunting. Yeah. Um, at, least, awesome. at least a hunting group, we might be doing the same thing, but at least a pro-hunting group is spending mm-hmm. the money to do it. And so we've been really lucky the last few years to get that grant. And, and what that grant money is, what we're doing is we're placing um, bear-proof storage containers. Um, they're certified grizzly-proof. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can. we've been placing those in campgrounds. And on um, some fishing game properties, and that that are used by the public and um, on Forest Service, where we're starting to see a push of grizzly bears. You know, not necessarily in the recovery area, but they're out there and they're causing conflict and and black bears too. Um, so <clears throat> down in the Dubois, Wyoming area, we've been putting in. We did eight boxes last year, and they run about nine hundred dollars a box. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, several of our volunteers in the Wyoming Game and Fish go out and dig some holes and place these big metal storage containers in these campgrounds that people can use to store garbage or food or whatever just to make the, their experience a little bit better and, and in our mind to keep a few bears on the mountain, keep them away from, from human bear, you know, human conflict and 
and that just keeps more bears on the mountain. So we're doing that again this year. Instead of the eight boxes, we're going to place four more down there, and then we're going to take the rest of that money and some money of our own and do the double bear spray giveaway here in Wyoming. Um, we've also been trying to really push for, you know, more research on, on black bears. Um, and one thing we got to do last year was go up and, uh, they did a few collarings of black bears in the Wyoming range, um, which is South of Jackson. And the whole idea with the collaring was the mule deer initiative, um, here in Wyoming is really, a. a, a they have a lot of money and a lot of backers and they're doing some great things for the mule deer as far as, you know, studying migration corridors, understanding their habitat and what their needs are to try and keep that population, you know, going a good direction. And with that, they wanted to figure out predators in their, in their summer range. And so the bear guys in Wyoming actually got some money to collar some bears uh, down that Wyoming range because everyone thinks that grizzly or black bears are killing all the deer fawns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we ended up, they ended up collaring about five or six bears and, and they lost a few to the harvest that year, but yeah. they had a couple that went to den. And we had one of their collars going faulty on one of them. And so we had to go into its den in the wintertime and, and, you know, <laughs> sedate the bear and, and re, redo the collar. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was a great story. I got to go on the trip and, and crawling in a bear den. And, and I got to tell you that thing was sedated and I got right up to its face and I was, I had my GoPro and I was taking pictures and, you know, he just breathed out one time and I about ran off the mountain. I thought he was coming along. <laughs> but uh, just a remarkable awesome. experience for us. And it was kind of just the beginning of what we're looking to try and do. And, and with that, they got to understand those bears movements mm-hmm. and that, you know, just trapping a few and calling them. We, we have a better understanding, at least in that range of five or six bears, yep. you know, on a larger scale, our goal is to try and, and they do it with grizzly bears. They have hair traps out there and they're doing it on a small scale in the Wyoming range again this year with these hair traps where they can taste, they can take a DNA sample and they can get, uh, you know, a unique genetic, uh, basically they can tell each bear apart. And so with these hair traps, we can get a good population estimate. Mm -hmm. Um, That's our goal in all three states is something like that done. You know, most of these states haven't done a large scale black bear population study in years. Mm-hmm. And there's not only those tools, but there's tools that sportsmen can provide. You know, in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, you got to check your bear in, and that's a little part of it. That 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 helps them decide harvests. Um, they have population estimates. They plug it in, and it it it's an algorithm. It you know it shoots out. You know, if the population is declining, decreasing, how many sub adult males are killed, how many females are killed, and all that goes into a big database, and they figure out each season you know, how many bears they estimate. Mm -hmm. But with sportsmen out there, especially in Montana or Idaho and Wyoming, and we have bait sites, and you know baiting, how many pieces of hair and chunks of hair and fiber do you get on your bait barrels on the trees all around it? And one thought we had was, you know, why not let sportsmen help do the study and turn in, you know, it would be great if if a guy could go to a bait site and the state sends a Mm -hmm. vial to each bear hunter and they collect samples uh, yeah. at their bait site or, or when they're out in the forest and then they can turn those samples in and then each state can, you, you know, utilize that. Maybe they start it small and then they can build on that and pick another area the next year and just see if that kind of works. And kind of what we're hanging up on is, you know, just to do one DNA sample is a lot of money. So yeah. it, you know, it would compound over a long time. So, you know, those are all things that 
I want to see happen. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I want to see it done yesterday and, and I have to be more patient because you know, the revenue stream for us just isn't there, but it's all the work we've done with these agencies leading up to that, that has given us credibility to come to the table and say, Hey, we're thinking about this. And they're like, Joe, it's impossible. And I'm like, well, I'll ask next year, you know, and I, I, they're really good with me and they know I'm ambitious and want to see all this be done. But, um, you know, there's things that, that we can, we can shoot for and we have goals for. And so those are some of the things that we're doing. You know, we, we spend most of the money on projects that all of the money on projects that go to the ground to these bears, whether it's through education, through humans, you know, telling them about bears and, you'd be amazed at how many people don't know you can't hunt grizzly bears or that there are brown bears and, and black bears in this country. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. And so we're doing a lot with that. And so, you know, it's all going to that. And, and my goal every year is to do something. We want to, we haven't done a large scale project in Idaho yet. Mm-hmm. So we want to do something there because actually most of our memberships in Idaho. Yeah. Um, so we gotta, we gotta find something really worthwhile over there to, to jump on. And there's a lot of things and, and want to do some more stuff in Montana. Montana's, you know, being only spot and stock, um, there's a few less bear hunters out there than you'd think. And um, a lot of wilderness and a lot of big country up there that, you know, those bears, you know, they don't really have an issue with population, but it would be really neat to understand them a little bit more, especially especially um, in areas where grizzly bears are living. And, yeah. and that's, been a, that's been a sticking point with us. It's one of our platforms is, you know how we know if a, a grizzly bear poops. It, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone will know it, but yeah. we don't know if a black bear can coexist that well with grizzly bears. And grizzly bears are such an apex predator. How many black bears are losing their lives to 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 food competition, and and how many black bears are pushing out into areas where they've never been because they're being pushed out by a larger apex predator in the grizzly bear? We don't mm-hmm. know that. Right. They look at Alaska and say, well, they coexist up there. Well. Alaska is a little different story than the, the state of Idaho, Montana, or Wyoming. Right. And we simply just don't have the people that really care enough to do anything about it. And except for, you know, us and, and the passionate bear hunters out there, you know, you go out, you go out bear hunting outside of Wyoming, Cody, Wyoming, at least where I live. And, mm-hmm. and I go spot and stop hunting. It's like eight to nine to one. You'll <laughs> see grizzly bears versus black bears. And that tells me that there's, and there's a lot of black bears around and, and people see them and, and we do harvest them spot and stock, but Yep. you know, what are the black bears, how are they surviving out there with this grizzly bear being so dominant? You know, uh, it's just, it's something that needs to be understood more. And that's something that we, we got to see get done sooner than later. Um, if anything, not maybe statewide studies, but studies in these, these ecosystems or the grizzly and the black, black bear living together, you know, the greater Yellowstone doesn't have that food source like the Northern Continental Divide with berries and, and a large crop of, of of grass out there for them you know it gets pretty dry and arid in the in the foothills around the the gye and you know those bears are competing every day for food out there with each other and then let alone you add a a grizzly bear into the mix and it's got to be tough on those black bears it it just really does yeah that's that's fascinating because i guess you know from somebody that's not from the gye that you know you kind of think oh well like you said they coexist in Alaska, so there shouldn't be a problem, right? But that's yeah. You're not comparing apples to apples, I guess, especially with habitat. I've never really thought of that, but that's interesting. Yeah, huh. the habitat is so much different than yeah. in Alaska, and the ground that they have to move around in is so much different. 
basically they're operating you know the gye is huge but yeah when you put it in terms of things it, it's it's pretty small especially for a growing population of black bears and grizzly bears and they got to coexist in that because if they can't coexist in that and they get pushed out they're in the cities and towns and highways you know and yep. in alaska one of the lowest i think it is the lowest populated state in the union i'm not sure specifically but you know those bears can sprawl you know oh, a black yeah. bear can find a little niche in the world where he can live and but uh, around here it's not the case it, it's just a lot different habitat and and you know just population they're going to end up in in human conflict so exactly exactly so interesting that's wild now a little bit ago, you mentioned that the uh, you radio collared some bears uh, to see if they were um, preying on mule deer fawns. Did have you gotten yeah. results back from that yet, or no? Yeah, they did get some results back, and I was I was sitting in the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission meeting when they were doing the season setting for black bears this year, and mm-hmm. and they had the guys from the Mule Deer Initiative give their presentation before that, and they. They they had some initial data on on the amount of uh, the amount of bears or the amount of deer fawns that were killed by bears and it was so small mm-hmm. they they actually justified increasing that quota uh, three years ago we set seasons in Wyoming every three years uh-huh. and three years ago they bumped that quota up so much because they're like oh these bears are killing all the deer fawns yeah. well the bears that they had collared and and what they determined by looking because almost all the fawns they try and get collared and a lot of fawns were collared so they can tell if there's a, emitting a signal that it hasn't moved. That's a mortality signal. They'll go yep. check it. And they can usually tell if it was a bear or a coyote or something. So based off of those fawn deaths and stuff, they, they, they ruled it out basically that there was like less than five killed by bears. Most of them were killed by coyotes. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. But on that note, those dang bears do kill. And, and I hunt this way a lot, you know, especially in Montana, I'll key in on elk calving grounds uh, yeah. when I'm bear hunting. They do, they do harvest a significant amount and, you know, bigger boars will do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's one of the most fascinating things um, that's going on with bear research right now is it seems like there's a lot of places that are um, checking to see fawn mortality, fawn and calf mortality of from black bears, and it it seems to really vary. Um, it, you know, like like the study you just mentioned, doesn't they don't really have a huge impact on them? But say um, here in Upper Michigan where I'm at, they they've done three different regions because we have really low um, fawn survival rates. And so they wanted to see what was happening to them. And one area was like really insignificant, like one or 2% of the fawns were killed by black bears. The next area they jumped to was like 15%. So, and then they're, they're doing another area and we haven't got results back yet from that. So, but uh, interesting. One thing stuff. that I would be interested to, to hear on that. And, and when you mentioned that, that's something that, that kind of sparked an idea in my head that I can maybe mm-hmm. get going down the road you know, in Michigan, with you guys out having that spring season, mm-hmm. I wondered if you had a spring season and you could have baits out there in the spring if you'd lose a little less on the on the fawn population because those bears have a different food source that they can access every year. You know, in this particular area that they did the research, there are bear baits out there. Oh. And so maybe not the case, but I'd be interested to see with Montana – where I've done it in the past and, and use those bedding ground or calving and fawning grounds to hunt. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a higher ratio of kills by bears in areas without bait in the spring. 
That would you know, be in interesting. The time of the year, there's just a lot more food out there for them with these bait stations out, and maybe they don't need to rely on those those calves and fawns as much. Uh, it's something that's kind of curious to me now that you mentioned that. Yeah, hmm. I, that's hmm. That might that would be really interesting to see because I really don't know what the answer would be. You you would think no. I, I bet you would save. At the very least, it would save some fawns, I think, for sure. Especially on years, because um, the years that they had really, really high fawn mortality from black bears was when we had late winters, um, where yeah. things it wasn't really that green when the calves were or when the fawns were being dropped. And so, um, yep. Uh, but if there was bait out there, hmm, I don't know. That would have been interesting. Yeah, something to think about. I. Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes, and I'm I'm usually the one that's that makes sure to correct people. But bears get to become the scapegoat for a lot of things, and yes. and I'm the I'm the biggest man. I get so mad when I see people say they they go out and they they get lucky and they take a bear, whether it's incidental and they had a tag in their pocket or they're out there they're out there hunting for them, and they always put on there, you know, I saved another elk calf or saved another fawn, and I'm like. How about the fact that you just killed a remarkable species and, and you, you had a great experience? You don't have to justify killing a bear. <laughs> yep. You know, you don't have to say, I, I killed a bear, but I only did it to save a fawn or a calf. Right, exactly. You know, there's people out there that only want to hunt bears, you know? So it's, oh, exactly. that's one of those things I feel like they, we create scapegoats of the bear, and we definitely hate seeing that. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I, I think uh, – I mean, in, in my personal world, I, I think a bear life's worth more than a fawn life. You know, <laughs> that's just my um, you know, ethical I, thoughts. You know, but that obviously varies. I hunt ungulates, I hunt deer and elk, and I love it, and I feed my family on it. But man, if I had my druthers, I'd be a bear hunter only, and that's just the way I am. I'm geared, but yep. you know, it just it does frustrate me when I see that, and you know, it's. It's part of the reason why we have trouble delisting species like the grizzly bear because everyone has to make the bear out to be, yep. you know, something that's not. And, exactly. and so it's a, it's a tough thing, but. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. The same. <laughs> it's coming from the same place as you for sure. So. Yeah. But cool. So, um, in Wyoming, you can both spot and stalk and bait hunt, correct? Correct. So do you do both or just spot and stalk or. I do both. I do both. Okay. I do, uh, we do, me and some of my friends and family run some bait stations. And then I also, so my big passion is spot and stock hunting. I, I, I love it. I grew up doing it for bears. That, you know, since I started bear hunting, I guess I didn't grow up, but since I started, that's all we did. And it just gets in your blood somehow. I, I, I there's a lot of guys out there that have never had the chance to do it. And it's a lot, it can be, it can be a challenge. Um, but I, if I ha if I could do only one, that's probably what I would do. It gets a little tough spot and stock hunting where there's bait sites mm -hmm. because you know those bears are you know they supplement with bait. That's not the main portion of their diet. They eat grass and 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 you know whatever else out there in the spring, but they supplement with bait. And then you know in areas where there's bait sites, it's just kind of it's tougher to spot and stock. It can be done still, and there's areas where it's really good, like over by Jackson and stuff. You can go spot and stock bears, and there's bait sites. Mm -hmm. around Cody and, and in the grizzly recovery recovery area, you cannot bait bears. Okay. So those are kind of those places that you have. If you just want to be a true spot and stock hunter and that's only spot and stock being done is in Wyoming, at least in areas uh, within the grizzly recovery area. So 
it's a lot closer for me to just go spot and stock in the evenings or in the mornings from my house because I live within the grizzly recovery area basically. Oh, okay. And then our bait sites are our bait sites are a little bit more of a travel, and and you guys know how much time and effort goes into those. So yes, I. I started baiting when I moved to Wyoming because I could. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can bait. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I started loving just – you definitely get to spend more time with them, and you learn a lot about bears by being around them so much and their habits, and every bear is an individual, and, and it's such a great experience. And it just realized how much time it took to keep those going and to do it and, you know, driving 70, 80 miles. I know guys that drive 140 miles, you know, it's, mm-hmm. so it's a lot of effort. And that time spent over there doing those, I don't get a spot and stock hunt as much around uh, around here as I'd like. So I always try and pick a trip once a year to Montana for a few days. And then I go out as much as I can. You know, if I have a day here or a day there, I go spot and stock hunting um, in Wyoming. So okay. definitely try, I try and do both. It's hard as you get, as, as you well know, baiting is a very time-consuming thing. And yes. if you want to keep those sites going and, I'm kind of at the point now where I've killed enough bears where I just like, I have special ones in mind that if it shows up, I'd like to take, but mm-hmm. so we, we take a lot of um, new hunters, kids, you know, family, family, friends. That's kind of why we have those bait sites now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the rare opportunity that there's no one sitting in them, I'll, I'll, I'll try and sneak my butt over there and sit on them and, and see what comes out. But um, yeah, spot and stock. I just love it. Uh, there's, it adds another element. So you get that rush when you harvest a bear, but when you see him through the glass and you're looking for days and, and, and it's hard, mm-hmm. that rush you get when you first see one is almost greater than actually harvesting the animal. And then that's what I'm addicted to is yeah. that rush of finding him. And, and actually just finding him for me is good enough. I, I, if I can see him, I mean, heck, I go up to Montana right north of, m- m- of my town here uh-huh. 40 miles I can be in Montana and I don't have a Montana tag. I'll just go up there and look. <laughs> I just love finding them. And that's my addiction, I guess. That's awesome. Just spotting bears. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah. That is cool. Huh. Now, when you, is there any difference between like, um, like spawn stock? I mean, so in the, you know, where there's no bait sites or whatever, um, is, is there any difference between spawn stock hunting Wyoming versus Montana where you hunt? Not real, a little bit in Wyoming where I live, just because of the grizzly bears. So you okay. kind of gotta, you know, you have that issue. And then I yeah. live in an area where it's significantly burnt, okay. and so you do get a lot of green up in the spring. Everything gets kind of green, um, and those are typically a little harder to hunt areas. Um, specifically, you know, right west of town here, leading up to Yellowstone Park, there's some massive drainages. It's all wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it's burnt. And the low-lying stuff is pretty arid, um, even though it's wilderness and it's it just there's not like that lush vegetation that I look for in places like Montana. Um, and then you know, I, I would say that's maybe the only difference. I still look for the same things when I'm spot and stock hunting. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, spot and stock hunting lends itself really good to areas that are heavily timbered, um, or not heavily timbered. I'm sorry, but have openings and slopes and valleys. You know, and there's places in Montana that are so thick, it's really hard to spot and stock hunt. And they'd be great areas to have bait sites. But yeah. um, I, I typically look for the same things in both in, in any area I go. And that's kind of how I start. I don't I don't really go out and just find a ridge and march on it. I, I kind of try and find an area that looks good. I, I look for natural funnels uh, okay. a lot of times. So 
I look on Google Earth or on maps, and, and I look for areas where it's like a big drainage that no matter where those bears come out of, there's kind of one place for them to go. Okay. And, and then a big natural funnel where if they come out of the high country and they're, they're digging themselves out of their den, where's the first place they're going to get grass? And they got a funnel down. And so I like to look for natural funnels anywhere on the landscape that I go, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. Um, no, those are, that's kind of one of the first things I look for. And so basically because we share the same mountains and, and the same typical habitat and ecosystem, it can be a lot the same in all three states. Okay. Gotcha. But as you get – as you get more northern Idaho, northern Montana, you're looking more in areas where there's no trees mm-hmm. because in some of those areas that's so heavily timbered, like northwest Montana, mm-hmm. the, there's not a ton of vegetation in the timber. So the bears have to come out in the spring to get that grass, and guys will hunt closed logging roads, um, okay. clear cut. You, know, you see a lot of that kind of hunting. So the style in in some of the northern parts of the of Idaho and Montana are a little bit different than you would do in southwest Montana or central Idaho. Okay. For gotcha. sure. Gotcha. Now, um, you know, I always hear that, you know, they're looking for grass or whatever, but that's a pretty broad term. Is there any, like, is it actually grass that the bears are looking for? Um, or is it, is there some sort of specific vegetation that you try to focus on when you're looking for bears? For me, right out the gate, like early on in the season, just grass, any green grass, and most of that green grass, and, and you know, dandelions and stuff like that, leafy yeah. vegetation, you know, they're not eating ferns and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. for the most part, that green grass, that initial stuff that they need to kind of get that energy level back in them and start putting some calories back on, it's easy, and that green grass stuff right out the gate. Now, as the season goes on, and I'm, I'm terrible about knowing names of plants and flowers. I should do better, but you know, there's certain flowers I see in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho that they kind of tend to, you know, they're these yellow kind of looking daisy flowers that got big leafy vegetation. I see them eating the white little tiny white uh, flowers that kind of grow in the grass clover. They love, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just that stuff that you're going to find in a creek bottom or on a hillside that greens up right away. Okay. And then as time goes on, I think they kind of spread out a little bit more and they find different types of vegetation. And, and that's one thing that I guess I, I just look for green. (laughs) I look for green and I go from there, but you know, as the season goes, everything's green, you know, you're looking at hillsides that are all green. And so it gets a little tougher to kind of see what they're eating on, but that's why I like spot stock hunting earlier than later, just because they're, they're not in the rut. And they're, they're typically living in one little area until some other stuff greens up for them to move around. But for me, and I guess that's a, that's something I should work on being a little bit better at is identifying what that they eat. I just, I always just kind of look for green bottoms and hillsides and, mm-hmm. and, you know, usually dandelion stuff like that, you know, they seem to really like. Okay. Gotcha. That's interesting. Now, um, yeah, cause I always, you know, I always hear that the, you know, the rut's the best time, you know, to hunt bears so later in May. But I guess if you're spot and stock hunting, it's probably easier. I mean, you, during the rut, you can probably intercept a random bear, you know, by luck just because it's it's rutting, looking for a sow or whatever. But um, if you're if you're looking for concentrated bears and food source early, food sources earlier is better than is what you're saying. Uh, that's my opinion. Now, there's some areas where you can't get into until late May, early June in, in Montana, okay. um, and even in Wyoming, that you're going to be looking at 
You know, you just got to kind of hunt. You know, bears got to come out of their dens regardless. You know, they're not going to stay in there until July because there's snow. Eventually, right. they're all going to come out, and they're going to come down. But they're coming down. If they come out in mid-May, which is typically when that got really good for us in Montana, was mid to end of May, spot and stock. Mm-hmm. And those bears were just starting to come out of their dens then. Okay. But, you know, if you're hunting in mid-May, you kind of got to get to snow line or close to it because that's some of those bears aren't coming out till then. And there's been time for green up. So they're going to get, they're not going to be down low in the valleys, okay. you know, early in the season. And you kind of just got to look at, it's hard to, you just kind of got to look at the area you're going to hunt, you know, and, and if you're going to hunt a mountain range or an area that you can't access until late in the year, mm-hmm. I mean, you might be looking at hunting some different kind of areas as far as you might not hunt that drainage or you might hunt this drainage, you know, as the spring comes and some areas, the bears pop later, they're going to be found in a little different area than the bears that are down low in the springtime that come out early. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think it still remains true that when they come out, they're going to travel down to the first green grass they can find. And so if you're late in the season and you're, you're seeing a lot of green up down low, there's a good chance if the bears came out early and they were down low, they've moved up now. They're, they're moving back up country and they're trying to kind of get away from the low ground and they're getting up higher because that stuff that's green first right out of the snow is like the best for them. They just love that. Yeah. And so I like, but to your question, you know, as soon as that rut starts, it gets to be a challenge to kind of pinpoint them. Okay. You know, I've hunted, I've hunted a lot of areas where we'll see a bear several nights in a row in one park or in, in one bottom, you know, yeah. just using that. And then as they kind of get that, they get that energy back and they put some calories back on, then they're a little bit more rangy, but they'll maybe hang in some drainage that you can get into for a couple of days and try and pick it apart and find them. Mm-hmm. But then when that rut starts, these boars have massive ranges that they run. And there was a particular area in Montana we'd hunt. And um, I, I, I always try and stay consistently in the same area when I'm spot stock hunting. Cause you could go one night, and and look over the best looking bear country you've ever seen in your life and not see one uh-huh. and that might have just been the day the bear slept all day long in the timber because he fed so good the day before i don't know yep. but you don't know if it's a really good bear spot unless you put in a good three or four days and then if you don't see him then maybe move but i like mm-hmm. to say go every night you can and pick an area and say you're just going to own that area for a few days three or four every night and really kind of decide if that's a spot that they're using or not. And then we had an area in Montana that was like that. I could be there from my house so quick, and I'd hunt every night after work, and we'd start seeing the bears finally. You know, you'd go a few days, not see any. The bears would start moving in there, and, you know, we'd see a lot of decent bears, but it seemed like later in the year we'd start seeing, and and I, I remember this one big black bear in particular, big old dark, just jet black, We'd see him one night, we'd go after him and never get on him, and then we wouldn't see him again for like three or four days. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we'd be up there and he'd just appear out of nowhere. But all he was doing, it was late in in May, early June, and he was just ranging, Mm -hmm. um, just looking for sows. And so that bear, you could have found where he was was living early May or mid-May when he first got out of his den, you you had your best shot at him. Mm -hmm. But when they start ranging, it's just a lot harder to say, you're going to see them in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Over and over. I think boars cover some, cover some territory. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. I, you know, there's, uh, 
you know, even on my bait stations here, it's like I'll get um, these random, like this random big bear. That, I mean, there's this one boar. He's huge. And he'll show up at random um, one or two days a season, disappear, show up again for another couple days, disappear. I mean, this is this isn't during the rut. This is during the fall when they're supposed to be just packing on weight. But yeah, it's wild. Yep. <laughs> they, you know, and it's funny. Like this year when we were up Montana and that big chocolate bear that I was after with my buddy, you know, mm-hmm. we, we had kind of thought that was the best place to find a bear and so the next that day we actually went in there we hiked into that drainage and you know there was the only place in that country was some timber mm-hmm. and the rest of it's burnt and yeah. then everywhere around that timber there were little tiny parks and little you know hillsides that were small they love those i rarely see them and they, they'll be out there but i don't see them that much in big open hillsides you know mm-hmm. i see them in little tiny parks and openings and meadows but that was the only place where there was timber. And, you know, with all the snow that they got, I was just like, we started thinking, you know, they're going to be somewhere close to timber where they can hunker in. And this has got some good south facing slopes on it. And there's some good flowers and good vegetation. And so we hiked in there and it wasn't very long after we hit that first pocket of timber in there, we started seeing bear tracks all the way around it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we got in there, we realized that bear had been living in basically within a mile, not even, on this south facing kind of drainage slash hillside that had a few pockets of timber, a few little different places for him to go. And everywhere in there was loaded up with this track. So he had been living in that little space for, you know, a a fair amount of time. And and that's where we did find him in one of those little openings. And, you know, he's, he's pretty probably, you know, going to stay in that country for a little bit until he gets good and good and fat. And then he can start moving up country a little bit as that snow recedes. And he can get higher and, and, and up to elevation. But, you know, that's why I like hunting early. And you might not see a lot of bears, but the ones you do see, you can sometimes peg them to a certain area mm-hmm. and then have a chance. Because it doesn't always work out where the first time you see one, you go after them. It, uh, in fact, I, I couldn't even tell you how many blown stalks I've had on bears, <laughs> whether it be the wind or they just get antsy sometimes. They'll mow grass in, in one park for a day and you'll see them and you'll make a plan the next day and they'll be there and you get over there and they're gone. It's just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to work out all the time. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you can find where one's kind of hanging out and you can maybe put a hunt on them for a day or two, mm-hmm. that's your best chance. But you know, this particular drainage had good water and they need a lot of water in the spring, good grass and that cover. And, you know, it was South facing, which I always start to look for South facing early because typically they'll then on North facing slopes or, you know, somewhere where there's a lot of snow that'll stay Mm-hmm. and then south-facing hillsides and creek bottoms stay green early. They get green earlier, and so that's where their food's going to be. Gotcha. And so you got to – I never really – I always hunt for the food source before I hunt for the bear when I go spot stock hunting. Yep, yep. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, when I when I go scouting for a new bait station here, I do the same thing. I, I very rarely am looking for bear sign because oftentimes it's kind of hard to find bear sign. I mean, you'll yeah. find, you know, you'll find some stuff, but, you know, you, very rarely do you go walking through the woods and find bear tracks, you know. And so yep. I focus more on what bear habitat and that's what i hunt you know because that's that's, yes if if you find good habitat they're gonna be there i mean that's just it is you know if you're in an area where there's bears so it's true it's just a matter of time and 
you know, it can be intimidating when you get into an area that's a big, massive drainage and mm-hmm. you're just like, well, I don't know where to begin. And, and I, I find like, instead of trying to pick it all apart for, for five hours mm-hmm. in the binoculars one night, I, I just try and find, okay, I'm going to key in on that spot there. Cause uh, South facing there's some timber all the way around it. Um, oh, it looks like there's probably a crick over there. So I'm going to like, I'm going to watch that spot. I'm going to watch this bottom cause it's green and I'm going to watch this other hillside over here. That's kind of, you know, facing South a little, it's starting to green up. Okay. And so I just pick a few places and I don't focus on the whole, the whole mountainside and I might miss bears that I don't see. And, yeah. and some might come out in weird places that you don't expect them, but if you're focusing on those other areas, you're kind of ruling out a lot of other stuff that you don't need to look at. And then, you know, if you're getting a good timber drainage, you know, where there's a lot of timber and not a lot of green grass anywhere for them, and you don't see a lot of grass in the trees, Mm -hmm. you know, those creek bottoms always will have green grass in them. And so it's a lot tougher spot stock hunting when you're hunting a really tight creek. Mm -hmm. But if you can get the wind right and just hunt up those creeks, we've done really well doing that. Just hunt up those creeks early in the season where the grass gets green and you might not see when you might cut some tracks or you might get some sign and you're like, Hey, or it's not greened up yet. And you say, I'm going to come back into this area next week and maybe it'll be better. And yeah. you know, it, it's just, it's just kind of trial and error, but in the spring, that's the best thing to do is just find a place where you think it looks like it'd hold a bear and mm-hmm. focus on that place. You know, don't, you don't have to be, you can glass all that other stuff, but you know, for the most part, I just kind of focus on finding the bear habitat and then I'll find usually you can, stumble across one eventually okay awesome that's that's some pretty that's some good advice because that's that's what i always hear is you know breaking up the whole mountainside or whatever but i guess there's not and, and the thing is too i mean you know black bears especially you know they, one of their nicknames is the black ghost and so it's gonna be pretty hard to yeah. spot one even in in you know open timber you know yeah out west you know, we're looking at, I mean, a high color phase ratio. And so some of these bears have adapted to their surroundings so well that, you know, you'll get a bear out in a, in a nice sagebrush park Mm -hmm. that's got, um, you know, kind of some blondish Brown in it. And, and they're a lot tougher to spot than a, than a jet black one out there. And, and, you know, I think everyone goes out looking for that jet black one in their binoculars and you (laughs) find out that there is, a lot of times those things are not that color and they're, you know, it's not necessarily what you're glassing for. It doesn't seem like in your head, you just think black, but yeah, you know, it can be tough. They get some pretty wild color phases that blend in pretty well with the open hillsides and, mm-hmm. you know, that yellow grass and, and any of that. So, and to be honest, we have a tough time sometimes, you know, sagebrush out here, you know, some of the bears aren't that big, you know, yeah. uh, and if you're just trying to find some bears, you know, you'll have bears that'll lay behind a clump of sagebrush. And <laughs> I remember sitting at the hillside one day for about two hours and just nothing. And I just sat there and kind of kept watching it and watching it and watching it through binoculars. And I don't know, I took my eye off it for a minute and I looked back over there and there's a bear stand in the middle of the, the sagebrush park. And he was probably <laughs> just laying in that grassy park behind the sagebrush and you just can't see him. They're not like a deer and elk where you can see antlers and ears. And yeah. so being really patient is probably the most important thing I would say when spot and stock hunting is patience. And if you're not very patient and you can't sit behind glass for a long time, find you a good drainage that you can walk where you can kind of still hunt it, walk it, be able to look at some bottoms, be able to look at some hillsides, but just put yourself in a good spot. But, 
if you can put yourself behind binoculars or spot and scope for hours, that's your sport because you can find a big area that you can just sit on, find one, and then make a plan on it or say, I'm going to come back in the next morning and I'm going to be in that same drainage or that same, that same meadow. Okay. You know, not that, that seems to work pretty good. Yep. That's cool. Now, um, if the bear is pretty, you know, if, it, if you got time, you, you spot it in the middle of the day or something and you got time, um, to go, you know, intercept the bear, what's some general tips you've got for actually like closing the distance on it? Oh man. I mean, I don't think any bear hunter on here is going to learn anything new from me, but wind is paramount. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Wind. And in, in the West, you get a lot of weird winds, you know, you'll have a West wind the whole time you're going after them and it's dialed in and you'll get close and it'll start blowing out of the East or something and it'll just screw you up. But you know, two, if you don't have a good wind and you can't get on them, you know, don't push it because there's a good chance early in the spring that that bear is going to be right around there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have another whack at them. Um, sometimes when you bump them and, and they know it's a human, they might not use that same area as much. They might kind of move. So I, I always really, really cognizant of the wind. And even if I'm getting close, I'll back out if it's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to do because you're just so amped up and ready to go. And, yeah. um, but wind, wind is a big one. Um, I don't know. They don't see overly great. Um, and I found if the wind's good, you can a lot of times get out in the open and get pretty close to them. I mean, they'll, they don't see great, but that doesn't mean they can't see or hear, and they don't hear that great either, but it doesn't mean they can't, you know, see or hear as good as we can, but they rely so heavily on their noses, you know, yep. um, what's it seven times greater than a bloodhound or something they yeah, can smell something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they, they rely too much on that. I think they don't. I think their senses. <laughs> I think they will let their other. If they see or hear something and they don't smell it, I don't think sometimes they worry about it as much. But the second they smell it, you know. And I found too with them when the wind's really swirly, I don't see them out in the open as much mm-hmm. because I don't think they can pinpoint, um, you know, where that that harm or danger could be coming from. Yeah. They trust their nose so much that when the wind's really weird. And I've seen this on baits too. When the wind's just not consistent, they seem to be a little less active. You know, I think they like that kind of steady wind where they have it in their favor and they can come out and feed wind in their face. They know where their backdrop is, where they can get out of there. Um, so they like that security. And so um, a lot of times you're going to find them in little tiny pockets that are hard to get into them on. But if you can get the wind right, Mm-hmm. And and you can kind of you know be relatively quiet and and you know not wide out in the open. It it seems like that's your best chance. But you know, like I said, they're just so unpredictable sometimes. You know, they'll spend two hours out in a park, and you know we typically feel like the evening. You know, you can do really well in the morning, but we like the evening. Mm-hmm. And you know, you say all oh, the witching hour is you know early in the spring is at six to eight o'clock and you'll you'll pull up or or hike into a drainage and you'll look at a meadow and there'll be one out at three o'clock and you're like well geez so you go after it and you know you get in there late and they're gone and you're like well i don't know why would it not be out here when they normally should be you know so it's timing early in the spring can be weird because they're so hungry and they might be out in the middle of the day but you know i guess my best thing would be just wind and don't push it if you're in a good area that you know is not going to get pounded by people you know, save that one for another day or night because quite often in the in the early spring they're going to be right in there. 
and you're going to have another chance at them. So. Yeah, <clears throat> that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, and I can – so a personal story that I've had. So I went um, with a bear trusting their nose over their eyes. So I was uh, – I went out to bait one of my stands, and uh, I – that particular day it was raining, I think. And I got up to the bait, and uh, I was I always check the trail camera first. And I was bending down, and I heard a twig crack behind me. And it turned around about 10 yards from me. There's a – about a 200 pound black bear standing on its hind legs looking at me. I was like, whoa. Yeah. And of course, I'm, I'm the dummy, brave one. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, I only had a knife with me. I didn't have, you know, even bear spray or anything with me. And so this bear's in there staring at me and he's sniffing, but the wind was in my face. I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, so this bear gets down and I thought he was going to run away. He started to circle me, and what it was is he couldn't smell me, and so he kept circling. Yep. I yelled at him, like, hey, bear, get out of here. Get out of here, bear. And uh, finally, he, he circled enough to where he got, got some of my wind, and then he was like, oh, and he and he took off, and he actually didn't run very far. But, uh, yeah, they, they definitely trust their nose over their eyes. I mean, to, to a fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean it was 10 did. yards. It's, uh, well, just baiting bears has made me a better spot and stock hunter because I have a better appreciation for their nose that I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's times where you can walk right up to them and not that far away out in the open, but that wind's right and they just don't, I don't know what, and I think it makes them antsy. And that's why I think when the wind swirls, I think they tend to move around a little bit more and, and maybe go back in the timber or something. Cause yep. you know, if they, if they can't, if the wind's not in their favor and they're feeding, I don't think they like that. I think they like to be able to smell good. And, you know, obviously younger bears are going to be more prone to be less uh, knowledgeable about their nose, but the big ones seem to be really cognizant of, of the wind. And they've probably been in that area before for years and they know, they know all the little escape routes and and where to disappear to. And it's, it can be an effort and frustration at times because you think you got one deadlocked and you get over there and you're just, you know, it's pounding sand. You, you, you're not there and yeah. they're not there. And it's just like, gosh, dang. But I find that wind, you know, and I like to hunt after the rain a lot too. You know, if you get a good rainstorm or snowstorm for a day or two and yep. man, when that sun comes out after that rain, it's like eating a salad for, you know, you get that nice wet vegetation and yep. they want to come out and dry off that, you know, they'll come out and dry off, lay in the rocks, sun, you know, kind of get some heat. And so I like to hunt then, but awesome. yeah, the wind, I don't know. It, it, it can be tough. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> now, do you, do you do archery at all or just rifle? I do both. Um, okay. I've never, I've not taken a bear with my bow, uh, spot and stock yet. I, I've okay. killed a few over baits with my bow. Um, I, I've not even, I'm not, I love archery hunting, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I do lo- I really love rifle hunting. I don't know. There's something about it and I've not really had that urge to do it yet, but I imagine I will one day. Um, yeah. if I started spot and stock hunting more in Wyoming, I'd probably start packing my bow. Um, the few times that I do get out to go anymore, um, it just seems like I bring my gun, but you know, using their nose and their, you know, <laughs> lack of trust in their eyes and ears is a good, a great tool to use when you're, when you're archery hunting out there. Cause you could, you could probably do some pretty good sneaks on bears. And I have a buddy that carries his bow when we go, but mm-hmm. we've not been fortunate enough to take one yet. I guess, yeah. you know, calling is another way that'd be really handy if you're going to try and shoot one with your bow. Cause you can kind of, 
you can kind of bring them in on a rope if they're if they're responsive and, and set up a collar and a and a guy with the bow in a different location if the wind's right, you know. Yep, exactly. Yep, I've I've never predator called, but that would be. I, I I'm gonna try it one of these days. That's got to be just such a rush. So. It's a lot of fun. I found some bears will, and it must just be time in their you know what they're eating and stuff. And you know, early on, I don't seem like they respond very well. Mm-hmm. And some, it seems like you can, as the season goes on, they're a little more responsive, but I've had some I've called and they just stare at me. Yeah. And so it's neat if you can see one and try and call it. Cause you can see, you know, maybe I'm doing this or they like when I'm doing this, but mm-hmm. I've had them come and then I've had them just be like, dude, I don't know what that's going on. I'm not interested. I got green grass right here. So yeah. it, it, it's pretty fun though. They use it a lot in like Oregon and Washington. I know mm-hmm. um, I have a, I have an elk calf decoy that I use. Okay. Because um, I'll, you know, a lot of times when I lived in Montana, we'd go try and get on these calving grounds. Mm-hmm. We knew where the elk would calve. And, and some of those bigger boars would range those grounds. You know, they'd move through there every once in a while and check those calves. And so, yeah. you know, if you can get a decoy out there and a, and a distress call or a fawn bleat or something like that, that just can kind of add some um, credibility to your setup. I, I think that works really well, especially if it's a ground that they're used to going and killing calves and fawn on that that can be a really effective tool for bear hunting spot stock okay no kidding now have you have you actually killed a bear like that i've never shot one while calling okay. uh, i never have um, okay. i've done it i've just never shot one when i've been calling um okay. you know i've done it more just kind of messing around trial and error or, you know yeah. just don't get the right one in or yeah, I've never actually harvested one. I know guys that that's like their go-to method, and yeah. and they're geniuses when it comes to it. And it's another little science. It's like calling coyotes. You know, it's it's yeah. another little. There's people that are so dialed in on it that just they do well with it every year, and yeah. they've kind of found the do's and don'ts of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, you said you killed a couple bears with your bow uh, over bait in Wyoming. Um, what? Uh, where do you normally set up a bait station there? Like what, what kind of terrain um, are you like timber or down in the drainages? Or? Yeah. I, I, yeah. And just like spot and stock, like I love to look for big canyons, just mm-hmm. like spot and stock hunting places where they got to funnel out of bears, like canyony, rocky, you know, nasty areas because that's good places for them for food and cover. But I, I look for timber. It, I mean, they love that, that they're more apt to come into your bait site in the daytime if there's cover. Yeah. Um, and so I always try and set up in timber or right on the edge. And then I, I really got to watch what the wind's doing. So we'll set baits up according to kind of the predominant winds in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, because you got to kind of think of where the bear's going to come out of, you know, when you're hunting, like, you know, necessarily like areas with high ridges and valleys and, and, you know, mountains and those bears might come out of certain areas rather than the flat landscape. And so you got to kind of think, well, they're going to be, you know, bedding on this north facing slope or back in that rock canyon or something. And so you got to kind of set your baits up accordingly to that and then figure out the wind with respect to where they're going to come from. You know, you never want to be in between that. So I try and look for cover and then, you know, a place to sit. Um, I like to have the same things I do when I look for spot and stock hunting, because like I said, they, contrary to people believe they don't, they're not, if they, if they lived exclusively on your bait, they'd never leave. Yeah. Um, they, they eat a lot of bait and, and they, they, but they, they, they live on grass and, and 
you know, nuts and acorns and berries and whatever else. And so yeah. I like to be around good food sources. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to put my bait where the bears are already going to be at, and that's food, water, cover. And so if I can find that, and then I can use their nose to their disadvantage and, and just get some good scent out there. And even if that bear's not in the area and he shows up and he finds that, okay, there's bait here and then, oh, there's grass and water and a great place for me to go chill and, and get out of, get out of sight and, and rest, they might just tend to stay in that area. Gotcha. And so, you know, just looking for those same things, but I, I like to, or, and a lot of times I like to set up on a little, if I can set up on a ridge top mm-hmm. or somewhere where that scent's going to carry a long distance. Okay. Um, I don't really like to be down in bottoms too much because you just never know what that scent's going to do. I like to be kind of up mm-hmm. and out of those bottoms a little bit where there's going to be some carrying of your scent. And, you know, if you get a good west wind all the time, there's a chance you're going to get some east winds and blow that scent a different direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bears are, bears are lazier than people. They will walk on a trail or a road. Mm-hmm. Anything they'll take the easy road. So if I can set up on a trail system, you know where there's good trails, um, or on the like a top of a ridge line with not a bunch of down timber, just make it easier for them to come in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much exactly what I do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I try to set up high. Um, you know, especially in, you know, assume there's going to be a west wind. I like to blow down to a swamp typically. Um, you know, I always focus on what the bears are going to be eating. I never try to force them to come to my bait. I bring the bait to them. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of, I think that's one thing that's really neat about bait hunting is like some of the same tips and tricks that people use out East I've used out here to, to work and, um, what's really cool about that is people can share ideas and stuff and, and it kind of makes us all under one umbrella. And then, you know, when spot stock is a lot different, but, yeah. um, you know, bait hunting can, it's, it's a thing you can learn too and kind of trial and error it. And mm-hmm. you don't need all the patience. You just kind of try and figure it out as you go. And, yep. you know, I, I had a lot of help from people out East mm-hmm. that I knew that helped me baiting out West out here. Cause no one ever taught me how to bait bears and we just yeah. kind of figured it out and did it and, you know, we got a pretty good setup now, but I'm learning some every year. And, um, but I think the mainstays are that food, water cover and, and, you know, just make a nice place for them to be. Cause if you want them to be in there in the daytime, they're going to want to feel comfortable and and they don't feel comfortable out in the open as it is, let alone doing something they know is wrong. I believe they know it's wrong when they're doing it. I just, some of the looks and reactions on them when they're in the bait, I'm like, that bugger's so smart. He knows he's doing wrong, but exactly. So you know, they're not supposed to be there. They do, they do, but they can't help themselves. Yep, exactly. So you got to make it, nobody's going to, you know, go from being a good person to jumping and robbing a bank, right? (laughs) But you sort of ease them into it like, well, you know, it's okay. You can just make it comfortable for them and all of a sudden they're robbing the bank. You know, it's kind of the same thing. (laughs) You guys probably have it out there. It's like the first couple weeks they're hitting the bait. It's just like, man, are they going to eat it or what are they doing? They're just picking at it. And then it's just like... The, the, yep. the wheels come off the bus and they just that barrel will be wrapped around the tree seven <laughs> times and you're just like okay yep. <laughs> but it's oh, funny yes. you gotta get used to it every year again you know yep. they're like okay I'm, 
I can get away with this. I'll keep doing it. Yep. And then when other bears come in too, it's kind of like, oh, okay. There's other the other guys doing this too. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. This must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of the coolest things about bait hunting is just observing those buggers. I I I, I truly love it. That is one of my favorite reasons why I do that. And yep. you just don't you don't get that as much spot and stock hunting because it seems like you 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 might go to drainages or areas where you see a lot of bears and a lot of them might not be ones that you want to go after. And so you you do get to watch them a little bit there, but I'm talking about, you know, 20, 30 yards and hearing every sound they make and, mm-hmm. you know, their mannerisms and how they interact with other bears and stuff. And it is, it's remarkable. It, it's so neat. Yep. Yes, it is. I love it. So now, um, what type of bait do you typically use out there? Anything particular? Yeah, I, you know, for years I would just use like bread and donuts and stuff like that. Grease is my favorite thing. And it's like, I, I can't stress grease, uh, the importance of grease at your bait side enough. Cause you know, those buggers will track that stuff everywhere and they're creating, yep. creating little centers for you everywhere. So grease, um, lately we've been, we've been, we got a company out here now in Wyoming and Idaho that sells bait, uh, Rocky mountain bear bait. And we've been buying some stuff from them because it's a really good deal. And I don't got to like, I've been, I mean, I, I keep three or four freezers all the time going all winter long because we're just stockpiling it all winter. Yeah. And it can get harder to find as these resources start getting used by other people. And so yes. we started buying like bulk dog food and um, we've been using some, uh, we're going to use some sweet mix kind of ground pellets this year from a company out of Idaho called Master Bait. Okay. Um, we're going to be using some of their pellets and dog food. So I backpack and, and we have to carry our bait quite a long ways and it's, it's pretty significant uphill and it's a lot of work. And so we try and find stuff that's like, you know, going to last a while and the little stuff like dog food and those pellets, they can't carry it away. And it, and it seems to last a while. Um, but I always use bread. Um, I use, uh, attractants from a company called Boremasters. They got a yeah. great, um, they got great sprays. I use their caramel conviction in my grease cause it just smells so, so strong. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they, have, they also have like some powder. It's a kind of, it's like jello, you know, that I mix yeah. and sprinkle in. Um, yeah, I use their powder. I've used that stuff too. It's pretty good yeah. stuff. Yeah. I use that. Um, and then out here, you know, out in the East and, and up in Canada, they use a lot of beavers. Now I've tried the beavers and, and for some reason that must not be a huge food source mm-hmm. for our bears that we bait. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically just dried up. They wouldn't touch them. So we've been using a lot of chicken, okay. um, chicken, chicken, they love. Um, and I don't know if it's cause it's from, you know, grouse and all that other stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's some bears that probably kill a lot of domestic chickens and, yeah. but chicken smells really bad early. You don't have to wait for that to stink. <laughs> yes. We usually use a lot of chicken um, and meat scraps. Um, I always have chicken there early for the scent, and then later on in the season, I'll start feeding them a lot of meat. And I don't know, it might be different in every area, but that's kind of what's worked for us and keep them bears happy is mm-hmm. um, that meat later on just to kind of give them something different, change it up. And yep. um, But usually early on, just bread and grease and, and you know, the – the pellets and the dog food and, and I mix in a little bit of candy. I try not to give them too much chocolate. I just, you know, you don't give dogs chocolate that much. I don't know if we want to over caffeinate the bears, but I mean, <laughs> it could work too, but yeah. And then 
you know, I really like to have a good crib built and, and cover and everything for them. Cause you know, if you got bow hunters on there, you want good shooting, uh, you know, ways they come into the bait and, um, you know, having, having kind of dictate the way they can come to the bait. It'll give you a better shot opportunity for sure. Mm-hmm. And we, we can use plastic barrels in Wyoming and now in Idaho, they got to use metal and, yeah. and that's a challenge. Cause boy, that, that some of those guys are packing those things a long ways. I feel for them for sure, but <laughs> we can use plastic here. Um, and we can only have one barrel though, you know, okay. only one barrel at the bait site. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're living far away and you got big holes in your barrel, you're going to find your, your, you're running out fast. So, we kind of limited the structure of the holes in our barrels so they can't eat it all out, you know, in one sitting mm-hmm. and try and keep them coming back and, and picking at it. Cause if you, if you can't get to your bait every day or even every other day, there's a chance every time you go back, it's going to be gone. And yeah. with people around you with bait sites, you know, that's more competition and they're going to arrange and they get happy at another site. They might not find yours again. So. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's uh one of my biggest uh, biggest tips of advice for baiting is don't let the bait run out. <laughs> that's all I can say. Don't let the bait run. And that's hard. That can be really hard. hard. Yeah, that's probably our biggest challenge. Um, and and just because we don't live that close to where we bait, and there's not a lot of people that do in Wyoming. You got to travel a little ways, and yeah, and it can be really really a challenge. And and trying to do different things. You know, if they feel and, and this is just something I've kind of found. If they feel like they can come in whenever they want in their bait there, mm-hmm. they're going to come in at night. Yeah. But on the same token, so you want to keep it full, but on the same token, if they run out and you can't get there, they're not going to show back up. So I, and and I kind of learned this from Tad Sherman over in Idaho. He kind of, you know, we were doing pretty good on it. And then we, we kind of, he kind of was like, man, you guys should try this. And what they kind of do is they, they bait that thing. I mean, you can't get another inch in a barrel over there and they'll just let that bugger sit for, you know, seven, 10 days, whatever. And they don't rebate it unless they necessarily have to. But then well, so we started doing that. We fill it up as much as we can. We get as much bait in there as we possibly can by carrying it, not dying. Yeah. And um, <laughs> then we, once that barrel gets low, Mm-hmm. and empty almost then i only basically bring a bucket at a time in okay. because now i want them to create that i want that competition now mm-hmm. so you got a bunch of bears using the site and there's been free food forever yeah and they can come in whenever they want to get it and then you know after that barrel runs low and then they start coming back and they're like well what there's only a little bit left and oh i got to get in here earlier than that bear because he's getting all the food so we start really kind of limiting it and not saying that's the way to do it, but that's what's worked for us with, with our situation and not being able to go all the time to bait. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kind of keeping them on rations later on in the season to create some competition. And it seems to help the daytime hits. Um, last year I shot a bear. It's first one I killed in a lot of years. It was just kind of beautiful chocolate that I wanted. And mm-hmm. we had a big black one in that one using the bait site together, two big boars. And, you know, I had pictures of them on the camera fighting and, and, you know, you could tell they had her hashed out and, and the, the black, the chocolate one to come in and then he'd get run off and that big black one would eat in there all he wanted. And so I, I kind of was like, you know, for that first, for those three or four days, I thought this is the best chance we got at killing one of these because there's some competition mm-hmm. and then they were going to eventually going to kind of start getting a little rangier and, and moving on. So I went and sat and 
um, horrible weather and it finally broke just for about an hour and there was a, not a lot of bait in that barrel and that, that chocolate had came in right at, right at about eight o'clock. And I just knew that he knew he had to get in there before that big black one did, or uh-huh. he wasn't getting anything. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of what that li- limiting their food towards the end does. I think it just kind of creates that competition and they don't have that luxury of just showing up whenever the heck they want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's, there could be, oh, I could spend a day talking about baiting theory and what I think is the best and all that. But I, I think, yeah, you're right. So like the, if what my personal favorite thing to do, and, and I don't, do this often because it's hard because it's um you have to bait every day but what i like to do is i like to go and i'll bring out you know five ten gallons of bait every single day at the same time and depending on how much the bears are eating and i watch the trail cameras to see okay um if the bears are say uh say I, I make sure there's enough bait to last till about midnight, right? And and this only works if there's a lot of bears. And so mm-hmm. the bears will clean out the bait, and it's usually gone by, you know, there might be a little bit left or whatever, just scraps, but um, the bait will be pretty much cleaned out by the middle of the night. And then I come back and I rebait it every single day, and you can't miss a date. you got to bait every single day. And what happened, and the same thing, you get the, somehow the bigger bears figure out that, you know, there's still, there's going to be food there, but I got to get there early. So, and that, yep. that'll keep them, that'll get them, keep them from going too nocturnal. And I mean, a lot of times they will still be nocturnal, but um, they'll be on the day more often, but you have to be every day and keep, make sure there's food there. Um, but that's not always feasible. And so, you know, I, like, I don't often do that sometimes because, you know, I can't bait every day often now. So, <laughs> but yeah, and, but I think trade-off. it's the same kind of, same mentality as we're using out here you know is just kind of keeping that competition out there because you know if those big boars know they can come in at three in the morning Mm -hmm. like clockwork and eat until they're full and then go lay down and never see a person they they damn sure will do it yeah and you'll never see and then you'll get lucky maybe when they start when they start rutting you know you'll want to stumble in there at three in the afternoon if you're lucky enough to be in there but you know just anything you can and i don't know i it's it's been something that's kind of like really hard to figure out as far as you know what time you can go and you know sometimes if you don't get off work till late and you're baiting when the bears are going to be showing up you just as well not be going to the barrel because you're gonna kind of you're gonna make them think that every time at that time there's gonna be a person there and so it it can be tough for a guy that you know works full-time job and lives away from home to Mm -hmm. to to run a a really awesome bait site and so you just got to kind of figure out little things in each guy that's why i love it you talk to so many bear hunters out there and you learn you learn something new from everyone and there's no experts in the game man there's always something to be learned and i'm learning every year like we spoke before man there's there's always something you could be doing better and yep then like you said it's it's so dang humbling you think you got them figured out and then you know you'll get a year where you're just like you get your butt kicked you just flat out lose yep and it's frustrating it just i had one of those years a few years ago and i you know, and I felt really bad. We've got a young lady from Billings, Montana down here that kind of didn't have the means to try and get her own bear. So we decided to try and take her. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've had some pretty awesome sites for a few years and that site just kicked our butt. We didn't, the bears didn't work it like they always do. And 
Yeah. We never got her a bear, and I just didn't know what to do. And, and it's just like, gosh, dang. Yeah. But you just kind of take that as a learning experience and hope next year is better, I guess. Yep, exactly. That was like my story this year. Like, I, I was going okay. It wasn't as good as previous years. I don't know why, um, but it was going good. And then as soon as season started, I just got my butt kicked. I have no idea why, yeah. you know. And I, I thought I, I had it down. I thought I had these big bears patterned. I was ready to go, and I yep. got my butt kicked. <laughs> yeah i think it's god's i think it's the hunting god just kind of saying all right dude you, you think you got her dialed in but let me just show you 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 don't quite yet so don't get too <laughs> cocky exactly it's, uh you know what i do and and uh, my wife teases me because i do this but i keep a journal of my baiting and i write down from day one the weather the temp what uh what it you know what the what how much snowpack was on the ground what we fed them starting out and then every time i check baits and every time i hunt i write in my journal yeah. and then i can go back to that and say well this year the snow was here and it was we didn't have hardly any bears until the end of may or this year it was warm early and the bears were busy and i even do that spot and stock hunting because i can look back on notes from montana and just say man in in 2005 the weather was like this and we did really well this week and the grass was green here and da done. So I keep that because it just helps me kind of refer back and I'm a, I'm a detail oriented guy. So I like to have all those notes, but yep. you know, and there's some years I don't look back at it, but it always is kind of cool to have it. And you can kind of look throughout the years and see what you've done different. And maybe certain years you can, you can look at and say, well, that was a really good year. What did we do different versus this year? And, and maybe all it is is a weather thing or something, but yeah, I do, I do like to do that. That's kind of a weird deal, but yeah, no, not really. I I do I don't keep a journal per se like with weather. I should, but what I do is I save all my trail camera photos, and so I've got a hard drive yep. with, with about fifty thousand trail camera photos on it. And when yeah. I need to go and think about, okay, this is what was going on this season because it's sort of similar. I go and look through the trail cameras, and it gives you perspective because you go, okay, well. All right, so maybe this wasn't as good as I remember it being. It was it was kind of similar to what's going on right now. Okay, so this is pretty normal. Or, man, what yeah. am I doing wrong? Because, <laughs> you know, it's not very good yeah. right now. You know what I mean? So. Yep. No, yeah. and trail cameras have been great for, for guys running bait stands because it can just help you out so much. And yep. and I'm a firm believer in areas that we can have bait because it, it, it really allows for a better, a more selective harvest. And yep. When you get a selective harvest, you, you end up having a lot more bigger bears out there. Uh, you know, the product of all the um, being picky on your bait site usually can produce some big bears for you down the road. And so I, I really think that is and that's the same as hound hunting. You know, hound hunting allows for a more selective harvest. Now, spot and stock can be tough because you get this few chances and the ones you do sometimes can be quick. And yeah. are you really studying it? Do you know there's no, no cubs and you know it's a big bear, but... You know, when you're on bait and with hounds, there's no, there's no, um, no guessing. You, you know what's in front of you, and I really like that. I, I think it's been a really good tool. And, and some of our bait areas in Wyoming, there are some tremendous bears. Oh, just and it's just been a product of years of, you know, selective harvest, and you know, a good food source out there for them to supplement with. And you know, I think a lot of guys try and kill that really big. And and we have it, and I'm sure everyone does on their bait site. They got that one or two bears that come every year, and you're just like, that's the one, oh, my God, I would die to kill that one. Yeah. And you don't get a chance at them, but you do get one that's like, 
almost in that caliber. And that's kind of what happened last year. I was like, man, yeah. I probably won't get a shot at that black one. I won't know if I shoot this one, but I, I, this is a really nice one. And so it's kind of like, it, you just, it, it can be hard to kill those big, 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 big ones, but they're yeah. there and it just keeps you going back. When you see them on your camera, you're like, oh, there's no way I'm not doing hunting when I can. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, you know, like the the hardcore whitetail bow hunters. There's, you know, they got their their hit list of bucks or whatever. Oh, I got my hit list yeah. of bears, but it's the same bears every year, and I never get anything yeah. on the hit list. <laughs> they just gotta make one mistake though, and that's why just yep. being there. If they make one mistake, that's that's all it takes. And you see big bears get killed every year over baits and spot and stock oh, and. Yes. You know, whether or not someone fumbled upon them or they, they were in the right place and that bear made a mistake, and that's all it takes. But that's why I always tell people, I don't care if it's crappy weather out or not, if you're not sitting, you're not even close to getting that shot at that big one. So. Yep, exactly. Just got to grit through it. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. I learned that lesson this year, too. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, cool. So, anyway, well, I've had you forever, Joe. Um. Oh, you're fine. I I could talk honestly. I could talk for four days about bear straight, not not get tired. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, um, before you go, um. How about you tell me? I love bear hunting stories. So how about you tell me, oh, your best spot and stock story. Okay, I, I'll tell you this, and it's easy for me. I got a lot of really great spot and stock stories, but mm-hmm. the best one for me was the first bear I ever killed. Okay. And it it, it had a lot of meaning to me for the simple fact that for about three years, four years before that, even longer than that, um, probably five years, I tried to find a bear to, to, to spot stock hunt and kill in Montana. And it was just really tough. We'd see him. And I, in fact, I shot one and lost one, um, not knowing where to place the shot placement on a bear is different than on an elk and a deer. And, you know, just being a rookie and, you know, I was just had, about five years of just beating myself to death trying to get a bear and really without ever shooting one falling in love with the sport. and me and my best friend joe and and the guy that i kind of started this organization with and we were just side by side through all those years trying to get me a bear and and he had he had lucked and got one the year before i shot mine and we kind of started clicking about then we started figuring out where to look what to do when to go and it was kind of like okay he got one now it was my turn and i had shot one and lost one the year before he got his so we traded off i shot one lost one that year so the next try the next bear that we could get was his and so the next year he got one and the the last year i was in montana before i moved here i still had not tagged punched a bear tag yet and i had a lot of chances and we had uh, always kind of hunted this one area and really loved it. And he shot his bear in there and we were kind of antsy early in the season. It was mid May and we ended up going up into that country where he shot his and there was so much snow. And so we, we kind of got stuck on this road where we couldn't get going any further up into the country to, to see. And so we were still at about probably 6,500 feet elevation up there ways, but we decided to walk down the road and just see if we could cut some tracks and, you know, didn't see really any tracks. And so we went back up and got on another road and we were going to just hike. And I knew this place from where I elk and deer hunted my whole life. And I was like, this might be good. There's some south-facing slopes, you know, and, and there's some good creeks and meadows back there. And 
that's another tidbit. A side note is even you spot and stock guys that want to do it, always write stuff down or think of bear hunting when you're elk and deer hunting because you can scout for spot and stock spring bear hunting while you're elk and deer hunting because some of that's how I found areas to hunt is just by like, oh, I'll have to come back here in the spring. But anyways, this is one of those areas, and we, we hiked into it and got into this beautiful green bottom surrounded by timber. There's a creek running right down the middle of it a big old hillside on the on the south face i was just the best bear spot i'd ever seen and we walk right down it down the edge of it and the wind's good and we don't even see a bear or nothing and i just am like frustrated and i'm moving to wyoming here really soon like within two weeks so i the pressure's on and so <laughs> we went back to the truck hiked back to the truck about dark and we did see an old pile of bear scat in there and so we just thought well maybe it's just not quite time yet and so the following week um we both took monday off work and we went in there on a monday um we had some rain and stuff and monday was supposed to be gorgeous so we hiked back in there on a monday it was a pretty good hike in there and we got we instead of coming down the park this time in the meadow we went you know kind of up because the wind was uh coming out of the west so we we hiked into the wind and man we it was beautiful in there and that meadow had gotten so much greener and more lush with like clover and little flowers and stuff. And I was like, gosh, there's gotta be one in here. And so we hiked all the way through. It's a really long meadow, all a little over a mile long. We hiked all the way through it and it's really thin and there's little cuts where the meadow goes up into the timber and just it's like hunting up in Alaska when you're hunting those uh, bays, you know, looking for those grassy spots and around every corner you think it's the one. And we got close to the end of that dang thing. And, we were both just frustrated. We're like, what, how can there not be a bear in this? This is the best spot for a bear. And, uh, we decided to put our packs down and sit on the little corner of this timber and kind of watch this opening for a while. And I turned around to set my pack down and, and I didn't even get all the way turned around and, and Joe had yelled at me, bear, bear. And I look over and in that same meadow that we just looked at, there's a bear standing broadside in the thing a hundred yards away he must have been in a little tiny depression or a wash in that beautiful meadow and he just appeared or he was laying down or i don't know he appeared by some act of god in the middle of that park and he was a beautiful chocolate boar and it hadn't lost one and and my buddy's like oh we looked at it for a minute made sure there was no cubs he's like shoot it and i got a rest on the tree and and the bear still just feeding doesn't know we're there so i I was shooting my, I have a seven mm STW that I, I like, and, and I still have. And, you know, I shot and hit that thing right behind the front shoulder and it just started spinning. And my buddy's yelling at me, keep shooting, keep shooting. You know, you don't want to try and find those things. And so yeah. I, I go to Jack another shell in, and this is probably the funniest part of the story, but I don't know if I was so excited or my gun just had, it was Remington model 700, um, that had the, it's got a little tab that keeps that bolt in. Yeah. Well, he's like, why aren't you shooting? And he looks over at me and I got the biggest look of just awe on my face as I got my rifle in my left hand and the bolt in my right hand. <laughs> totally pulled the bolt all the way out of the gun. Oh. And so <laughs> bears out in the middle of this damn park and he's doing circles and I'm trying to jack this shell. I'm trying to jack my bolt in and I get it jammed and I finally sorted myself out and, Centered down on the bear again. I think I shot it five times. I mean, he didn't have a chance, but I was not letting him get in the way. And uh, he finally just kind of like ambled over to the edge of the meadow and just fell over. And uh, we went up to it. And I, I can't tell you 
the excitement I had that day is the <laughs> most excited I've ever been in any hunting experience in my life. And I've, I've done some pretty amazing things. I've been very lucky and that just that moment and doing it with him who I spent, you know, five years trying to figure out bear hunting with and understand what the hell we're doing. And it meant a lot to us, you know, and we mm-hmm. gave each other a big old hug and then, you know, in Montana, you got to take the meat. And so that began a long process of packing that thing out of there. And, uh, yep. it's the only bear I have full mounted. Um, I got a lot of rugs and stuff and other things planned for bears, but it's the only one I have full mounted that, that thing means so much to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of say that was the day that, that changed the rest of my life with bears and bear hunting and what, which started me doing this organization with, with my buddy. And so that, that's probably my favorite. And I could spit tales about spot and stock hunting for days, but that that's probably my favorite. It's pretty selfish. It's about me, but it, it just remind it just, it's everything I remember about loving the sport. So that's awesome. Yep. Yep. I, I know the feeling. I, that was kind of like my first bear too. I, I just want to shoot a bear and then I shot one and definitely definitely the most excited i've ever been in any hunting situation i mean it trumps anything my first elk my first white tail i mean leagues beyond that so oh man yeah (laughs) what's been cool for me is just every time i look at that bear someone asks me about it i almost want to start five years before that and tell them about how many blown stocks and how many times how much money and gas and, and losing yep. bears and just everything that went into that yep. made it so much more special. The day was great, but is everything that built into that just made it everything that it is now. And, and it means so dang much to me and, yep. and everyone I kill and, and I'm lucky enough to be around and everyone my buddies get, I, I just appreciate them so much, but that one's very special to me and probably one of my favorite hunts I've ever done in my life. So yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Well, cool. Very, very cool. Well, <clears throat> thanks for coming on, Joe. I really, really appreciate it. This has oh, been my awesome. Pleasure. This has been an awesome conversation. So definitely have to add yeah, that again because I could have, <laughs> I could have rabbit trailed about <laughs> for another couple hours here. But uh, <laughs> I could too. Yeah, this is definitely can't, it. Can't be the last time we talk. No, uh, we got a lot more to cover. So <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so. Anyway, well, cool. So, um, for uh, if you guys want to follow, for the listeners, if you want to follow um, Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters Association, I will post links to their social media pages and the website. And if you want to become a member, which I think I'm going to after tonight, um, mm-hmm. I'll post. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, um, I'll post that'll be on the website. And um, yeah, obviously they do some great work and. Um, so we'll do all that. And uh, any other any other closing thoughts or anything like that, Joe? No, I just wanted to thank you for doing this podcast because I know it can be tough. But, you know, just having another voice out there for bears and bear hunters. And it means a lot to me that there's people out there doing this. And it's such a great thing to see. And, and, and I, I just want to make sure and thank you for your time and, and all the work you're putting into this. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And I know our organization does. And and I think on behalf of a lot of the bear hunters out there, we're, we're appreciating you doing this. It's it's just really neat to see how far we've come with technology. And, and now that bear hunters have a place to kind of call home, it, it just, it's fascinating. So I, I, I just wanted to thank you for, for doing it. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Joe. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. So, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, the feedback I get from everybody and, and just, 
you know, it, it, it keeps me going and I, I'm, I'm loving it. So I will definitely keep doing this. So, but fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I get to talk bears with people all the time. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe your next trip should be out to the West and get you a nice, uh, Rocky mountain black bear. I, I do believe that next spring, that is my plan. I'm just debating whether awesome. I've got, I don't know. I'm debating whether I want to do a, uh, I for years wanted to go out to Idaho and do a spring bait hunt and uh, just drive out yep. there and plan for a couple weeks, just be out there, set up a couple bait stations and, uh, hunt that or do the same and do, but do a, uh, Montana spot and stalk hunt. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about yeah. it. So <laughs> we'll kick it around. We got, we got some awesome resources in all three States and, and, and you can lean on me with ever any question or help you need. And heck, if it works out, I'll go with you. Awesome. Oh, that'd be a blast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm probably going to take you up on that. So, <laughs> well, you can, you can hunt bears over bait in Michigan. I think you ought to try spot and stock. That's kind of, that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So <laughs> or my, my, the last, so I've got a bear in Montana. I've got bears out of Wyoming. I never shot one in Idaho and I've never killed one over hounds. So that is my next bear I killed hopefully be behind hounds in idaho i'm dying to do that so that's another unique really cool opportunity that you can do if you came out is you can you can get with the houndsman or book a hunt with uh with an outfitter and go uh go run bears with hounds and i think it's a pretty awesome experience yeah definitely yeah we got a lot of houndsmen here too so but uh yeah yeah it'd be fun yeah it's kind of crazy i've never actually i've never done a hound hunt here even though it's a very popular thing here so but uh I got to, I got to do it soon. That's yeah. showing me not, not having done it yet. So, but yep. we'll be in touch down the road yeah. for sure. Yep, for sure. So sounds great, Joe. Well, um, thanks again. And, uh, I'll have all your information in the description of this web or this podcast. And, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So we'll, we'll be talking thank to you, you soon. <laughs> okay. Thanks guys. <laughs> yep. Thanks Joe. All right, everybody have a good night. Yep. Thanks. Bye.